The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. And thank you for having me. I'm Breathe very out. excited. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And Mike is on vacation this week, so he will be back with us next week. But we are going to be joined by a very special guest. She is the creator of Ghouls Magazine and Zoba with a Shotgun, Zoe Rose Smith. Welcome to the pod. Yay! And this is going to be a little bit of a, a Frankenstein episode as we, is that the right way to say it, Laura? Frankenstein? Frankenstein. Okay. Frankenstein episode um, where we're kind of going to piece some stuff together. Um, we have a difference in time it, time zones, so um, so it might feel a little bit disjointed, but I think the content that we're going to put together is going to be really great. So just so you know, if voices drop in seemingly out of nowhere, they're not <laughs> standing behind you in your room about to kill and, you. So, And Zoe and I are not ignoring each other. We're just not on the same recording. <laughs> That's where, true. Yeah. You know, there's like zero interaction no between feud. them. There's no feud. Yeah. <laughs> right. right, right. Yeah, you're also on different continents, so that's yeah. that's part yeah. of the issue too, yeah. Um, but I still think we it's going to be really great. About I'm excited. I also want to give a big uh, trigger warning also. I know we give one at the beginning of the show, but we are going to talk about suicide in this episode as part of the context of the story. So if that's something that you're sensitive to, this might not be the episode for you. We still love you and we completely understand. Um, so just wanted to let you know. All right. But despite what I just said, this is a comfort horror episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy. And this movie brought me some joy, but more catharsis, and it totally melted my brain. And Zoe, what movie are we talking about today? Possessor. Yes, everyone. <laughs> nothing is real. <laughs> All right, but before we do, we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen Possessor or it's been a while, so here's your spoiler alert. Spoil me out. <laughs> we begin with a woman inserting a needle into someone's head. It's connected to a knob that someone else keeps turning up. Someone named Holly walks into a very fancy lobby and joins other girls all wearing the same blue tracksuit she's wearing. They're at a very fancy party with a plate of very fancy steak knives. Holly walks up to a man and stabs him a bunch of times. It's very graphic and he is very dead. Afterwards, she marvels at the blood running through her fingers. She whispers to someone, pull me out, then points a gun in her mouth. The cops arrive and she dies by shooting at them instead of pulling the trigger on herself. But then a blonde lady wakes up. She was possessing a host, Holly, who is now dead, and she's been in a pod the whole time. Jennifer Jason Lee, whose character's name is Girder, helps her get acclimated to who she is by looking through her personal items. Her resorts are normal, and she's back. 
So Tasia is a contract killer for a company who takes possession of people's bodies and then kills the people that are closest to them. Apparently, there's a big contract coming up, and she is the agency's star performer, but she wants to take some time off. She's separated from her husband and thinks she might be a danger to her family. Tasia gets home, but practices normal conversation beforehand. They have friends come over for dinner and then have some coitus that she doesn't seem that into. Despite the fact that she's hooking up with a Sutherland, she can't stop thinking about the kill she just did. Then she calls her boss and says she's ready to go back to work. Michael wants her to move back in with them, but while he's talking, she sees the neck wound she made on the guy she just killed. Gerder is getting too old for this shit, and she's eyeing Tasia to take her place. It seems she has a very special nature, but she still has ties to her old life, and sometimes that's all it takes to lose control. They look at her work from the murder, and Gerder asks why she stabbed him instead of shooting him with the gun they provided. So they learn about Colin Tate. He is the next person they're going to possess in order to take down the CEO of a company called Zuthru. She studies his movements and speech patterns. Then they kidnap the guy and do a little light brain surgery. Turns out she has a small window of time before she starts to suffer brain damage. Then they begin the transfer interface. Tasia wakes up as Colin and walks around his fabulous apartment to get her sea legs. Colin and his girlfriend hang out, but she notices something's off, and he starts to notice tiny little spinning pieces of white debris. Colin has a gross friend named Eddie at work who's done some sexual adventures recently, and he likes to talk about it. His, uh, Colin's job involves some kind of virtual reality, and it looks like he's spying using people's data and logging their windows and blinds, and this is when I realized what data mining is and was horrified. While watching, Colin has a bit of a breakdown and sees another particle. He runs to the bathroom but sees Tasia in the mirror. Gerder checks in with her. She thinks it's the new tech that's not handling her levels right, and Gerder reminds her that they can't make any mistakes. Later that night, Tasia goes to spy on her husband and son in Colin's body. Colin gets home, and Ava was very worried about him. Her friends are there doing coke, and they don't like him very much. Turns out Ava's father is the CEO of the company and gave him a shitty job. Later, Ava asks him what's going on, and he says he's just really tired. She's upset that he won't let her into his inner world, but then they have some makeup sex, so it looks like things are okay. But suddenly, it's Tasia in bed with her with Colin's body. The next day, Tasia checks in with Gerder. She says she is good with the host right now, but Gerder has him recalibrate, which is that thing where you stick the needle in your brain and turn the knob. So Colin goes to the dinner party, which is where the murder is supposed to go down. Ava's dad is kind of an asshole who feeds on misery. Colin and Ava talk to him, and he is super condescending. During the party, Colin snoops around the house and gets in place. Gerda tells him to get in a fight and get himself thrown out, then come back and finish it. Colin picks a drunken fight with Ava's dad, then does indeed get himself kicked out. He sneaks back into the house and sees Ava and the dad sitting together. He grabs a fire poker and prepares for the big moment. Ava and her dad are drinking together, and Ava walks off saying, Dad isn't exactly helping. But here's Colin. He sits down at the table with Dad and puts a gun on the table, but Colin beats him to death with a fire poker. It's horrific. <laughs> and stabs him right in the mouth, grinding his teeth up. Ugh. Ava walks in on them, and he shoots her. 
And then I wrote, geez, then he stabs him in the eye with a poker. Colin goes to finish Ava off. He's about to shoot her, but he caresses her ear first. Then he ends up. So Tasia says, pull me out and puts the gun in her mouth, but can't pull the trigger. She's screaming to get out and her body is splitting with Colin's. So Colin's hands take a big piece of glass and stab his, the top of his head where they put the implant. Tasia starts bleeding in the machine, but she's still in his body and there's a problem. Gerder says she's lost control and tells the text to leave her in and see if she can fight her way out back, although that risks permanent damage to her brain. Gerder calls Colin and is like, hey, let me just explain. But Colin is not so into it and runs away again. He shows up at Ava's friend's house and convinces her to let him stay there for a few days, but then kills the friend in the shower. So now he has a safe apartment to hang out in for a little bit. Friend Eddie shows up at, the, at this apartment. Eddie is his lifeline. He's a plant sent by Gerder. Eddie does some stuff to fix Tasia slash Colin's head. During the pulse analysis, the lights flicker red and it's Tasia and we see Colin approaching behind her. Colin starts to strangle Tasia, then crushes her head and puts on her face like a mask. He sees scenes from her life. Tasia wakes up with the gun to Colin's head and finds that Eddie is now dead on the floor. He tries to shoot himself in the head, but turns at the last minute and misses. Colin sees where she lives, and he keeps repeating the word darling and walking to her house. Later that night, Colin shows up at Michael's house and fights his way in with the gun. Colin says he needs to know what she's done to him. Does he ever think of his wife as a predator? He says, does he ever wonder about parasites? Maybe she's got a worm in her brain, and maybe she's not the same person anymore. Is he really married to her or to the worm? Colin yells at Tasia to come out or he'll shoot Michael, and she does. Colin asks her what she's done to him, and he says he's in the one that's in control of his body. Michael knocks the gun out of Colin's hand, but he gets the upper hand and stabs Michael with the meat cleaver over and over and over again. Then Tasia says, pull me out, and puts the gun in her mouth, but she still can't do it. Colin starts crying. Then the son stabs Colin in the neck, and Colin shoots the son. But now we see it's Toss that shot the son. Colin bleeds to death on the floor as the sun is bleeding out on the floor also. Their blood is merging and the sun says, pull me out. Then Jennifer Jason Lee wakes up in the other pod. Turns out she has possessed the body of the sun. Tasia wakes up next to her. Then we end with Tasia and Gerder recalibrating with her personal objects. She looks at the butterfly that she killed and mounted when she was a little girl. And that's Possessor. All right, so now let's do a feelings check. And this is where we share our first experience with the film and how we feel when we watch it. And Zoe, would you kick us off? Yes, of course. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of this film, as I think everyone knows, you know. I think the first time I watched this, I was just like completely blown away by it. I had a sneaking suspicion that I would be because... A few, I don't know, it was a while before I actually watched it. I was chatting to Dan Martin, who does the special effects. And he was like, I'm working on this film. I can't say much. And it was, but he was like, you would love it. Possessor came out. I was like, this is the film he was talking about. And yeah, the first time I watched it, I don't know. I think it's just like really hit me on a personal level. It's just amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Don't you love when that happens when you hear about something and then it turns out to be like this fantastic film? Yeah. I was just doing an interview the other day and they're like, well, we've got something in the works. And just to think that you hear about that and then it becomes like one of your favorites. It's just such a cool feeling, you know? Yeah, it's so exciting. Um, well, this was a first watch for me and I, you know, I'm, I'm not the best with the body horror. So anytime <laughs> there's the name Cronenberg attached, I'm always a little wary and like, can I handle this? You know? Um, but the more that, that I've been kind of diving into body horror or more extreme horror, the more I find that I really love it and that it's yeah. really, it's powerful like it really affects me and sometimes like I still haven't been able to finish Titan yet I'll I'll, yeah. I'll get there at some point but it's just it's too much for me right now but when once I can really I get through it like I think the visceral nature of it is really so powerful for me that it it like pulls me more into the film mm -hmm. you know and this one was actually not as as bloody or gory as I was expecting it to be. You know, there are some moments for sure. And the, and the first scene, I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to kill me <laughs> when she sticks the needle in her head. I was like, oh, no. But it's it's not as visceral as I was expecting, you know? Yeah, it's I mean, it's I guess a little bit. I mean, you know me, I watch uh, <laughs> lots of horrible movies. It's much right, right. tamer in comparison to some of the other body horror. But I think mm -hmm. in a in another way, like you said, it's kind of, you know, more visceral. It also plays out more psychologically, which I think sometimes mm -hmm. in the extreme kind of like bracket, pairing that like mind fuck with, the body kind of elements of it almost makes it more disturbing than if you're watching something that's just like gore for gore's sake. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, I guess the Cronenbergs are, are known for doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I really haven't like this might actually be the first Cronenberg movie I've ever seen because I've yeah. just kind of been like, oh, no, 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 this is going to be too much for me. And I think I built it up in my head, you know, mm. like I was terrified to watch Martyrs for years. And then I finally watched it and I loved it. I was like, this is incredible. And the same reaction with Inside. It's like yeah. this. I fucking love this movie. And it's like it almost feels like it just washes over you and just kind of the gore. It like pulls you in but then I see a film like I don't want to name names but there are some more torture porny films where it's like <laughs> no you're just kind of trying to see how gross you can make it and that's when I'm not necessarily into it you know yeah well and before we before we get too deep in talking about this I do kind of want to talk about your because you do love really extreme horror <laughs> and I wanted to kind of ask what is there anything in particular like are there any movies that you want to recommend or are there what is it about the kind of extreme nature of movies that you think calls to you? Yeah, I mean, it's not the it's not the most like well liked subgenre <laughs> within horror. <laughs> uh -huh. It's quite particular. Um, I think for me, like, I just I love the thought of like pushing your own boundaries and like seeing mm -hmm. how far you can go. And the first time I was watching extreme horror, I just got like this full body and mind sensation of being like, oh my god. I've never felt this kind mm. of like repulsion or disgust before because I don't feel mm. like you experience those feelings 
on a daily basis so it was kind of like mm-hmm. seeing how far you can push yourself what can you watch mm-hmm. that's so disturbing that you're like actually do you know what <laughs> I'm good I don't want to <laughs> go there like where is the limit uh-huh. and yeah. so for me it's al- like it almost became a bit of addiction doing that I mean mm-hmm. I think especially when I was mm-hmm. younger you're kind of like a bit more adrenaline junky things like that now I don't watch as much as regularly as I used to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I mean in terms of recommendations a couple of classics would always be Cannibal Holocaust and Salo and then more recently I guess I would recommend something like um, Baskin and of course a Serbian film. Mm, okay I have seen none of those no I've seen Cannibal Holocaust I have seen okay. that one yeah all right <laughs> and the good. other ones I've been <laughs> too nervous for but but perhaps I will check one out I do like to to read the synopsis and spoil them for myself before yeah I watch them so I can just kind of prepare like when we watched I I don't know if I would call Goodnight Mommy uh an extreme movie but there are some uh, extreme things yeah yeah it's that it may be extreme adjacent yeah you know um, but I had to spoil that one for myself just so just so I know what I'm getting into, you know. I spoiled Titan also because at some point I'm going to watch it. And it's like I know that I will love these movies because I think when they're done well, I find that they they really can kind of pull me out of whatever it is that I'm frustrated or I'm stressed yeah. about, you know. Like that's one of the things that I loved so much about Martyrs and I found myself recently really looking for – not necessarily the most extreme, but the scariest thing I can find. Yeah. Because when I'm really stressed out, if it can scare me enough to make me forget about all of that stuff, then it's like a little vacation, even though it's like a nightmare, you know? Yeah. So I'm. that's kind of how I felt when I was watching... Um, when I was watching Inside, I, I just can't get over how much I loved that movie. <laughs> so that's French Extremity is kind of my, mm. my little... I'm going towards that right now, but... Um, well, let's talk about Possessor because this was another. I was just blown away by how much I loved this movie. Yay! Um, <laughs> and there, you put something in the notes that I just almost made me cry when the way that you wrote it, and it was like it says the thoughts and feelings I'm too scared to share, which I loved. And I was just wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, for me, Possessor is like this movie very much about kind of like disassociation from oneself obviously there's a lot that you can go into in terms of like mental health and kind of feeling detached and disembodied Mm. from from yourself and who you're meant to be and your authentic self and I think for me you know I um you know a couple of years ago got to a very bad place tried to take my own life after that I started going Mm. to therapy and I was like holy hell therapy is amazing why did I Uh not do this (laughs) 10 years ago Mm -hmm. and you know for me it's therapy is hard work you know Mm -hmm. you have to turn up you have to do the work and sometimes it makes you I mean sometimes afterwards I'm like I need a nap for like eight hours and not to talk to anyone and My thing is like struggling with opening up, talking about feelings, which is what got me to like a bad place. So, you know, kind of coming out the other side of that and looking at Possessor, I was like, this just, you know, is a way that I can translate everything I feel when I can't tell my friends or my partner. And here it is on screen. I felt like Cronenberg 
had had just pulled out everything that was jumbled in my brain and put it in a movie and I think that for Mm. me was like the most powerful feeling yeah it's it's so awesome when you have that experience and I've used several films to kind of explain things to people like no it's like this like Gerald's Game is one that comes out to me like that has led to some some really important conversations with me and my husband but it it opened the door to that. It's like it puts you in the headspace and then it gives me like a visual vocabulary for kind of like expressing some things. Yeah, I was really kind of struck by like it's very taboo in a lot of ways, you know, like Mm -hmm. if I read, I think there's probably a lot of different ways to kind of read this film and kind of reading Tasia's intentions, um, especially at the end, but I was just so struck by the fact that she is trying, I feel like she's trying to decide what life she wants to have, you know, like, does she want this traditional family life or does she want this life where she's like this badass assassin and she, or just the freedom to do whatever she wants, you know, and not have to have these connections that make her kind of give part of herself away, you know? And, and I think, because when I when I watch the end of this film, I come away with this like she didn't really want to have a family anymore, yeah. and she didn't. She want she preferred this life, and that's just such a taboo thing for women to say. <laughs> I think a lot of times, but it's something that I've felt. You know, yeah. I mean, I love my husband and I love my kids, but that's one of the things that is so hard to to say and yeah. to say out loud because people think you're terrible or you're not, you don't love your kids or you don't want to be a mom, you know, and it's not that it's just that it's hard, you know? Well, and so you talked a little bit about, um, identity disorder and dissociation, which I think is such a, a really strong theme in this movie. Mm. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like you see her kind of wrestling with who she is, you know? Yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, when a lot of people kind of in the midst of mental health, you kind of like question yourself a lot and I think Mm -hmm. you know like you often struggle with how other people look at you what's their version of you who is your authentic self and you know picking Mm -hmm. up on kind of some of the points you were mentioning there about maybe not you know especially as a woman going actually do I want to get married do I want to have kids you Mm -hmm. know do I want that traditional life like it does kind of make you feel very confused about who yourself is, your authentic mm-hmm. self. And, you know, I think for me, I've I've always struggled with that. Like what's the what's the real me versus the the one I want to portray to, you know, certain types of people. And I think we all do it. Mm-hmm. The the person we portray at work is different to who we portray to our friends, different to who mm-hmm. we are at home with our partner and, you know, our family. Like, and I think it becomes quite blurred lines, you know, on a daily basis in terms of like who we think we are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the film just as you see her constantly, you know, battling, as you said, against which kind of version of her life she wants and trying to build both, but then both like conflicting with one another. Yeah. And I think especially as women, we are told like this is what a woman is this is what or a person who identifies Mm. as female and that's another thing that I think is so interesting is I think he could have easily chosen to put her into the body of a woman but he 
specifically chose to put her into the body of a man, Mm. which I think is so interesting. Like you can kind of see her explore what it is like to to walk in this body and have this anatomy and which I think is is really fascinating and especially the scene where she's she's having sex with the girlfriend and she just kind of like comes back to herself and she's like these sensations like and I kind of read that as her thinking maybe this is what I want like she obviously can't stay in this brain forever yeah because it's going to damage both of their brains and there is an end date but I wonder like we don't ever have the opportunity to fully step into somebody's shoes and to see what it would be like if we did have more power than society gives us or just a different set of backgrounds, a different set of opportunities, you know? And I think that's, it's really interesting to see her kind of explore that, you know? Yeah. I I really love the fact that kind of like gender comes into play in this film. I think it's really, it could be read many ways. Um, a, a few ways I read that actually, you know, perhaps she isn't into men anymore with her husband. Mm-hmm. And so when she kind of, you know, has sex with a girlfriend as, as Colin, it's something mm-hmm. new. She suddenly actually likes that pleasure. And there's mm-hmm. a few comments in the film where, especially from the girlfriend's dad, where it almost kind of insinuates that Colin's character is a, a female. And I mm. got into thinking of, you know, back onto the identity disorder is what if, you know, Colin is just how Vas sees you know herself within the body and actually you know Mm -hmm. she is her as her dating the girlfriend and the dad doesn't like Mm -hmm. it there's a few comments he makes there's just a lot of Mm -hmm. ways that I think you know the film just completely blurs reality with characters Mm -hmm. you never truly know who is who which I just adore I do too yeah because I mean I feel like that in my own head sometimes I'm Mm. like who who am I going to be today, yeah. you know, and, and do I, do I have the power to choose that or am I defined by what everybody sees me as, you know? Yeah. And I also want to say for the record too, I am a cis straight white woman talking about this. So if anybody out there who's listening has any kind of other, other reads of this, I would love to hear mm. it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to catch everything. And I know there's been a lot of writing on this movie too, um, because it's just, it's really interesting when you start to explore identity and the possibilities that can open up when, like you said, you can blur the lines and when there is no definite who I am, you know? Because we also see her in the body of a person who is another race than she is at the very beginning. And we don't really go too much into that story, but I think those are conscious choices to cast, to make those characters different in some way than Tasia is. And she is also very blonde and very, like, even her eyebrows are very blonde, you know? And so I think it's almost like she feels like a blank slate when you see her as herself, you know? She doesn't seem to really enjoy her life as it is, which is kind of what you were talking about, about maybe not being so into her husband anymore. Mm. It's like she doesn't feel like she is actually living until she is in the body of someone else which is sad, you know? Yeah, it's so sad. And maybe I think why she kind of wants to destroy this life that she's built, but she kind of feels still tied to it, you know? Because there's like the guilt of saying, I don't, you know, that's her son, you know? I don't want this life anymore, (laughs) you know? And that's, that's a really hard thing to say, but I mean, it's not, 
I mean, it's okay to say that and it's okay to choose that, you know? Yeah. And And I think it's a great representation of like self-sabotage, which, you Mm. know, is so easy for us to do, especially if, you know, we're, we're struggling with mental health problems. Sometimes it's like the best thing that your brain goes to do is like before everything else gets messed up, before an external source messes this up, I'll sabotage it myself. And then Mm -hmm. it's, and then it's, I'm in control of it. And I think, you know, in Possessor, we see that as what exactly what she's doing. You know, she, in some ways, you can tell that she does want to be at home because, you know, she asked for her husband. She kind of Mm -hmm. is there, like with a pining look on her face. But at the same time, she also doesn't want it. It's like that Mm -hmm. conflict that I'm sure we all have where you're kind of like, I know I want this life, but the other life is also exciting you know you're kind of always Mm -hmm. battling against that and I think you know for for her it's it comes down to the yeah the family so sabotage it and you're in control of at least the destruction as you said Mm -hmm. yeah and I think I wonder how much it's like she is like she likes this family life Mm. like if I'm projecting myself into this I would think do I like this because I'm supposed to like it? Because I have grown up thinking this is what my life is going to be. And this is just an internal battle I have with myself. And when I ultimately like go through all of these thought processes and these kind of games about what would my life be if I just walked away, you know, I always come back to wanting to stay because I am happy where I am and I do love my family and I love, I love being a mom. Not every day. I don't always love being a mom, but I, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. But there's there's a big self-destructive part of me and I've also said a lot of times like I've been sober for about nine years but if I did start drinking again I would destroy my life in probably about a week like I would find ways to just tear it all apart yeah because it's like there's filling this role and having responsibilities to other people carries a lot of weight and responsibility too and that's really scary And so when she is like, we see her with Gerder and we know she's like the star of this agency. Like she's getting a lot of praise for it. She's like really well renowned. We're going to, we find out she's like essentially going to kind of take over operations at some point. And a lot of that is based on her own actions and they're not dependent on anyone else other than just kind of the, like the tech team or her ability to do it, but it's not dependent on like is her son just having a bad day and having a tantrum and that has nothing to do with her but she's gonna have a bad day and she's gonna feel like a failure in that realm because it's dependent on other people you know and so it's like if I can just remove these people I can remove this source of stress and this source of feeling like a failure yeah yeah absolutely this movie really got me (laughs) it really like pulled out a lot of like just my my feelings about what kind of life I I have and what kind of life I've wanted to have. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts about the speech about the worm, because that I thought was so fascinating. That, yeah, I mean, like you said, I think this film is underrated in, in its ability to bring out and reflect like personal feelings. Like it's for me, mm-hmm. a very powerful film in how ambiguous it is, which makes like everyone kind of find something in it that mm-hmm. picks through the worm cat litter 
part is yeah. it's like it's so bizarre because it's like such a small amount of dialogue and yet it just gets under your skin so much and mm-hmm. I have two cats and I have to clean their litter and I'm always like oh my god if I got the word it worm in my brain <laughs> I just got two cats too and I was like oh fuck I'm gonna get a worm (laughs) but then I have this feeling of like what if the worm has been in my brain the whole time like what is the worm you know like do we actually want the things we want and you know in, in the course of in the context of everything I've been talking about I'm like what if the worm is the patriarchy and I want this it's not actually me that loves having a family. It is the worm that tells me I'm supposed to love this. And that's why sometimes it feels like going through the motions. And that just is terrifying to think about someone in your brain, like pulling the strings, you know? Well, that's the that's the thing. Like, if you think of, um, you know, like mental health and things, when you go to therapy, for instance, you know, they often tell you about, like your ego and yourself Mm -hmm. in that sense and that sometimes your your thoughts that you hear are actually like don't listen to them basically you know Mm -hmm. for me like when it comes to um like identity disorder I'll often get these thoughts that like everyone I know around me sees me in a completely different way to I see myself and I can't control how they see me so then I'm like Mm -hmm. how can I build a certain you know way of myself to to project that outwards and I think Mm -hmm. then you start to begin to think about the worm like you said has it always been there is this a thought I should listen to is this not a thought I should listen to um and Mm -hmm. I saw I was reading something and it said that if a thought starts with what if that's like a bad thought and I was like but what if the what if is and you know and then you kind of think ah, and that's where the worm is like just that little thing when you know you have like a thought and you do kind of lose your mind to yourself yeah yeah and I have a lot of intrusive thoughts and that's something mm. that I'm, I'm actually on medicine to kind of try to stop them and it's helped a lot but I have some for a long time I would get um these images there's actually an image from Lord uh Lords of Chaos I don't know if you've seen Mm. that movie it's like my other favorite movie (laughs) (laughs) oh is it I loved it but the scene where I can't remember the character's name but it's an early suicide in the movie like that scene just kept like coming into my head in the morning yeah like I didn't have any desire to like harm myself or hurt myself in this way but it just kept popping into my head and it really scared me for a while and so we that's when I started getting on this medicine to kind of try to stop it yeah his mind don't really come in the form of words it's more images and actions okay. you know yeah but what I found is that the more I try to fight the images that come in the more they just kind of swirl around and if I can just say okay I see you and just let it kind of pass out the other side of my head then they go away, you know, and I can kind of just look and say, this is something that's happening in my brain. I mean, to put it in the context of the movie, this is the worm that lives in my brain and we're yeah. going to, he just lives here right now and he's not, but he's not taking over today, yeah. you know. And it's interesting, you said, um, like she, she's possessing these people's bodies and she's thinking about like, 
the she doesn't have control about the way other people see her. I'm sorry, we don't have control about the way other people mm. see us, but she does because she has this ability to jump into the body of someone else, you know, which I think is is really interesting and I also wanted to talk about kind of the predatory nature of her job, you know, because yeah. I think if these were just like avatars that lived in a warehouse and they didn't come to life until somebody got into their body, I think I would have a lot less of an ethical issue with what it is her job is. But I mean, this Colin has to die in order for her to take over his body. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a hitman, isn't she? Basically. Right. Yeah. That's what mm. she is. And I think, you know, it's kind of, she is definitely like an assassin and getting into other people's skin and into their body. Like you said, you know, she finally gets that perspective. She can look at things from the other way. Mm. And I think we all often wish for that like we look at other mm -hmm. people we compare ourselves we go I wish I had that life I wish I had that person's skin I wish you know we're we're creatures that are obsessed with the next best thing we always want more and you know I know some of us try to say we don't but like it's just it's natural I think we're always comparing ourselves to someone else you know against ours and I guess in in her case she can exactly do that like actually get in someone's skin and disappear and for me it kind of goes back to that disassociation you know her life mm. brings her an aspect of unhappiness of like pain in a way and mm -hmm. the best thing that she feels is to completely disattach you know from that life and by jumping into mm -hmm. other people's skin She's just away from everything that she has in her life. And I think we all feel like that at times that, you know, to escape would just rather have someone else's life because it would be better than ours or more exciting than ours. And that in mm -hmm. turn, you know, just stops us from being grateful for the things we already have. And, you know, in Possessor, she has a wonderful husband and wonderful kid, but it's just not enough for her. Yeah, and I think, like... There is like we do have the possibility to change how people see us. It's just really, really hard. You know, yeah. like yeah. she it's not as easy as just jumping into someone's brain like she could leave her husband. And it sounds like she has, but she just has this pull that comes back. Yeah. Um, and and like I think sometimes if I were really that unhappy and I really did want to leave, there's nothing stopping me from just moving to another state, you know, or changing <laughs> yeah. my name or like dyeing my hair or, you know, there's nothing stopping me. It's just, there's a lot more action that it would take. Like there's a lot more logistical things I would have to do that would take a certain amount of money. And so she is able to like try this stuff out and it almost feels like she's going on these little vacations um, in yeah. other people's lives, even though she is, she's working and she's doing these horrible things in their lives. Like she's, she is destroying. And it's also like, she is kind of rehearsing this self-destruction thing that we were talking about mm. because she's destroying everything in their life, you know? Yeah. Like that's, that's her plan. So it's like, she gets to see and that. And another thing, sorry, I feel like I'm disjointed, but another thing I was interested in was the, at the beginning, they're like, well, we gave you a gun why didn't you use the gun? Why did you use this knife? And it's like, 
this is the her opportunity to do this destruction that she really wants and to get this emotion and this rage and this catharsis out in a way that doesn't affect her life at all, you know, but she can still go through the motions of it. But then when it is her own life that Colin is like just cleaving the shit out of poor her poor yeah. husband, like that's, you know, it's it's a different thing. But I think that's what she finds maybe she wanted all along and that's why she is just brutally murdering these people instead yeah. of just shooting them yeah know? well and i i think as well you know she clearly has a sense of feeling numb you know the fact mm-hmm. that we see her rehearsing an emotional response before she goes and visits her husband and her son shows that she's so down and numb with the life she's she's living with them that she has to practice those emotions and feelings and I think when we're in a dark place a bad place we do do that you know we know that we wake up in the morning go I feel like shit I feel like I want to be run over by a train and you have to go to work you know and you get Mm -hmm. up and you go like hi morning how was your weekend and inside you're like thinking of just awful things and and we see Mm -hmm. that in the film you know her rehearsing those emotions and kind of forcing it out is such a representation of of what we do and I think when she you know kind of loses her shit at the beginning and just stabs I almost think that she wanted to get shot to have the pain and the suffering she she Mm -hmm. is craving any kind of emotional reaction even and physical reaction even if it hurts like just something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is I think what has led me to self-harm and sometimes is just I need something like something this is going to unlock a feeling you know or kind of help me get to that place well and that's another thing I I want to talk about the suicide Mm. element of this but I was just really struck by the fact that she can't pull the trigger, you know, that this is something like she even she knows she's not actually going to die. Like she is in the safest possible position to do this really destructive thing. Mm -hmm. One of the most destructive things you can do to your own body. And she still can't make herself do it. And when I think about certain times when I have been very low and have been thinking about doing some very dark things and I've never actually made an, a, I I say a full throated attempt, you know, Um, but I got really close one time. And what stopped me was thinking through the motions of like, okay, well, what what am I going to leave behind? What is my family going to find? What kind of mess is this going to leave? You know, and I hate to be so graphic about it, but, you know, it's this like you can want something really badly. But then when it comes time to actually do it, it's a completely different thing. And I love that we see this movie wrestle with that you know in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before you know yeah it's it's a very um I think it's a very kind of like sensitive and intelligent portrayal of suicide because Mm -hmm. I think we often think of suicide as like you know someone's upset and they go right I'm doing it you know done Uh over and done Mm -hmm. with but you know like I it made me think of like when I had my suicide attempt it wasn't like you go into it and don't think of anything you do you know you kind of go Mm -hmm. as you said like oh god actually what am I leaving behind am I being an idiot but I think you Mm -hmm. know as we see in the film as well 
you have to you kind of there's a scene in possessor um where she's just screaming do it do it do it when she needs to shoot herself and seeing that it's like that's the stream of thought you have where you're kind of like I'm not saying, you know, I didn't have a gun or anything, but you have a gun and you're pointing it at yourself and you're saying, like, your body is instinctly going, no, don't do that. (laughs) Like, that's a very Uh bad thing. But your mind is going, do Mm -hmm. it, do it, do it, do it. It's like a battle you have. And Mm -hmm. exactly, suicide is not something people just do very easily. There is Mm -hmm. a big battle there. And Mm -hmm. we see exactly that in Possessor. Like, it's done so well in Possessor. Yeah, it. I love it because he's actually personifying that battle. You know, there's Tasia who's saying do it, do it, do it, and then Colin who is the body that's like, no, no, no. This is this is all I have. You know, and and that is such a tangible way of kind of accessing that that feeling. Um, that is really hard to describe because I feel like even when you talk about suicidal ideation, like until I experienced that, I was I it was really hard for me to understand how I could have this thought about suicide or thought about wanting to harm myself, but no emotional desire to actually do it. You know, it's like this. This is what my body is telling me I need to do, but this is not something I actually want to do. And it's so hard to describe that to people because, and it's really scary because, you know, you think, okay, well, are they going to immediately send me to an asylum and lock me away forever? (laughs) You know, it's hard to like, like I was really nervous to start talking about this in therapy, but Mm. I feel like. And I've recommended so many horror movies to my therapist and (laughs) she doesn't like them. So I end up just spoiling them all for her. But like, I feel like if I could like show this to my husband and say, this is what's going on in my head. You know, it's not that I I don't feel like I am suicidal, but this is the war I'm having. You know, I think it's just such a a really, you use the word sensitive. And I think that's a really great word for it, you know, because it doesn't feel like, as much as Tasia, she's a hitman and she is trying to destroy this person's life, but you still kind of want to side with her. You know, she still feels like our hero. She's the one that we are with for most of the film, but then we start to feel for Colin. And and I was really struck by the brain surgery scene like that. I'm telling mm. you, this movie made the top of my head hurt. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> Anytime, like whenever, when his girlfriend would like rub his hair, I was like, oh my God, he's got a wound up there. Um, but I think it really shows the wear on his body also. You yeah. Know, like his body is never going to be the same after that, even if she does manage to get out in some way, you know? Yeah, she really kind of takes over his body. And again, I think, you know, some of my favorite scenes in, in Possessor are where they're almost kind of in each other's minds. Um, mm-hmm. And it's this kind of like distorted, disorientated, very disassociated sphere of color and space that we see where they're kind of living in and, and you know, battling mm-hmm. against. And kind of going back to the, the, you know, the thought of suicide, it's almost like when you're thinking of committing suicide and like you were saying about that thought, it does feel like you have a, a stranger inside your head screaming this thought at you which is exactly Mm -hmm. which we see Colin there with Mm -hmm. you know Voss screaming this thought of kind of like you know kill yourself shoot yourself so Mm -hmm. I think it's just like 
amazing to see that. And yeah, I love, there's a lot of like imagery in the film of like doubling of like faces. You see like more versions of one face. Also Mm -hmm. a lot of the shots you see are in the mirror and it's almost like Mm -hmm. that reflection of oneself of who are you really seeing is the mirror telling the Mm -hmm. truth. So I think there's just a lot of like really cool imagery in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved the visual of Colin putting her face on like the the kind of distorted yeah. mask. I thought that was such a a really visceral way of showing that he is kind of living her life. And that's what she is doing to yeah. him, you know. And so that the way her face is stretched out is a way of him kind of showing her this is what you're doing to me. This is what you're doing to my body. Yeah, I wonder, I see that you have color in the the notes and I loved the, just the use of that and like the yellows and the reds and just the clean white um, space that she, when she is in the kind of pod, you know? Yeah. And it really felt like kind of going into, like this is, it's very sterile. Yeah. Because I feel like like you said, numb, you know, it's like she's in a doctor's office and that's kind of how she feels like she's walking through her life. When she goes home, there's kind of a neutral palette to what she wears and she is very kind of monochromatic, but the apartment is this like rich life, but she doesn't really want to engage with it. You know, even the couple that comes over for dinner, she's like, can, can they get out of here? You know? that that um something so I've seen this film stupid amount of times but the the (laughs) thing you just mentioned about asking the couple to leave for dinner Mm -hmm. I never noticed this until the last time I rewatched it for this but she says oh I think it's why did they stay so late or something like Mm -hmm. that oh no sorry the husband says I'm sorry they stayed so late then when Mm -hmm. later on in the film when she's in Colin's body uh Colin's girlfriend says the exact same thing to her about the other Mm -hmm. friends and I only noticed it on like this millionth watch and (laughs) I was like it's so small but it's such a like just a little thread to remind you of like can you really trust anything that you see in the film you know Mm -hmm. I even started going getting to think I was like well, is, you know, her life with the family, does that even exist? Or is that something in Colin's mind? And you can just go down this rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, I'm out. I can't. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Well, and I mean, in this kind of movie where you're playing with people's perception and playing with their brain, like, I could maybe see, is this something that Gerder has created for Mm -hmm. her to let her know you know, you really don't want to go back to Michael, you know, because at the beginning she's left him and she's talking about like, this is a life I thought you had left behind, but she's still feeling this attachment. And so I wonder if, gosh, that like, this is the rehearsal for her destroying her family. Like this is yeah. what will happen if you go back, you know, I, th- I, I think I probably read it as she actually does destroy her family. And like, this is that like their deaths are real just kind of because like I don't know if I want to I want the film to go there and then not actually go there like I'm so kind of in love with the fact that it lets me go to that place I don't want it to be like a dream or an illusion you know um but that is an interesting point you really can't trust anything 
that you see in this movie, you know? And I think with the couples, when they're having those dinner parties, just to see the different experiences that she has afterwards, like she is much more engaged in this sexual encounter she has after when, because I get the sense that she was happier with the the couple that didn't leave as Colin yeah. than she was when she was as herself. And it's like, maybe it's just that she's not happy in this life. She just wants this exact same experience, but just as someone else, you know, yeah. or allowing herself to be someone else, which is, it just, just, it's, it really will just melt your brain when you start thinking about all of the possibilities, but we should be able to think about those kind of possibilities for our own lives. You know, like we are the ones to tie into the title of the film. We are the ones in possession yeah. of our brains and our bodies. And so we can do anything we want. It's just, we have to go through the motions of getting there and fight against the people that tell us we shouldn't want this, but we do have the possibility to change, you know? Yeah. And I guess it's, uh, you know, th that's the thing, isn't it? Like, we, as you said, we have the possibility to change whatever we want in our lives, you know, in, mm -hmm. in some aspect. Yeah, I think we often have, and I saw you you put in your notes as well, kind of like imposter syndrome and, and oh, doubt yeah. around mm -hmm. ourselves. And I've always found as like a creative person, you know, and I see it through schools and the chats that, you know, we all have as creative people is that, were we all kind of know we're really good at what we do but we doubt ourselves so much which stops us mm -hmm. making those changes in our lives and mm -hmm. you know that doubt comes from a, a place of fear of of those what ifs that start to arise and I think you know that for Voss is is very similar there's a there's mm -hmm. a certain element of doubt always lingering over her and that just yeah comes straight back to us and and how we feel yeah and I think like a lot of times when I think oh no everybody hates me everybody like they're not giving me this opportunity mm. because they see me as terrible they think I'm you know and it's just all the worst things that I think and I just imagine them coming from other people and then like if I were to jump into the head of somebody else, what I would probably realize is, no, they're not thinking about that. Like they're just living their own lives and they're concerned with their other thing. And maybe they didn't respond because they weren't feeling well that day. It's not because they hate me, but it's just so, so much easier to let those, that worm kind of tell you the worst version of the story, you know? Um, I guess I just wanted to pick up on, uh some of the the usage of color um because mm -hmm. i think you know i think possessor uses color in a really interesting way and mm -hmm. i'm not usually particularly analytical i i like to just make jokes <laughs> and you know not go too far in depth on on things like this <laughs> or usually uh -huh. my brain is not working properly to to do it <laughs> but mm -hmm. possessor for me it's a film that every time i watch like as I said earlier, I get something new out of it and I feel like I'm always learning like a, mm -hmm. more every time I rewatch it. And the mm -hmm. last time I rewatched this the the other day, I started noticing more and more around the kind of uses of, of colours in the film. Mm -hmm. And I just love how, you know, like the yellow kind of represents like insanity, illness, mental illness, mm -hmm. kind of going down that line of, perhaps to uh, Voss is, you know, 
battling with mental health and feelings of everything that we've spoken about and then Mm. anything revolving around Colin you've kind of got like these blue hues which really represent you know like trust and truth but also at the same time like a coldness which you Mm -hmm. see in the way Colin is before Voss jumps in his body he's like super detached from everything um and then you know again you mentioned the white being like super clinical as well and then we have the Mm -hmm. red and I think for the red like it can be red in a few different ways in terms of like Mm -hmm. anger and frustration but actually for me I was really reading it in a sense of like passion and lust Mm -hmm. because there's a Mm -hmm. lot of sexual imagery in this film Mm -hmm. and I really feel like it's kind of as we mentioned before as well, picking up on the fact that, you know, uh, she's jumping into other genders' bodies, having sex with women. Like, it just mm-hmm. comes back to that for me. Yeah, that's interesting because Colin's life does seem very drab. You know, yeah. it's like this kind of really light blue, but then it's not till she kind of jumps in and she kind of sparks this passion in him. And that's when I think he kind of starts to fight for his life a little bit more than I think we've seen before. And we don't get to know him that well, but I think the colors are what kind of pull this out. And so if I'm thinking about what we were saying about Voss and her kind of going through the motions of her own life, it's not till like Colin is doing that also. And it's not until he gets the experience of losing his losing control of his life that he's like, no, I really do want this. I want to fight for what I have. Well, he almost gets his, it's almost like that gratitude you suddenly get at some point in your life. Mm -hmm. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, once I started going to therapy and stuff, I I started looking a bit more around at my life and being like, hang on a second, there's some really great things in my life, great people. (laughs) I was like, why Uh would you why would you want to take that away from your yourself? And I quit drinking like four months ago now. So And since doing that as well, I've had like a new sense of gratitude. I'm like, actually, do you know what? I don't need to go out and get blackout drunk and not remember my night and be a horrible person and make Mm -hmm. my mental health worse. I can leave my house and have like a much nicer time. And I think, you know, seeing Colin, as you said, like get that spark. It's like his gratitude of going, actually, yes, okay, life can be really boring sometimes, but look at all these amazing people I have around me and I feel like Mm -hmm. that's exactly what you get you know kind of after if you you know after surviving or going through like a suicide attempt or any kind Mm -hmm. of self-harm or anything you just get this gratitude and go "Ah, actually it's it's not too bad like it's quite nice here (laughs) Uh uh-huh Yes. And that just kind of sparked this whole other reading I could look at as far as like sobriety and addiction and like, Mm. because the days that I am the most grateful that I stopped drinking is New Year's Day when I wake up and I do not have this massive hangover and I just want to like lay in my bed and eat Taco Bell all day. And I remember when I had, when I was in kind of the first year of not drinking anymore, I remember just feeling like I had so much more control over my life because, I mean, we could look at Toss jumping in as a blackout drunk. You know, he is losing control of his perception. He's Mm -hmm. losing control. And I mean, that's definitely, 
something that I've done many times and you wake up the next morning and it's like, what did my body do yeah. when yeah. I was not aware of this, which is just terrifying. It's frightening. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so to think about like, I, I do have control. I remember I would just think I am making decisions about my day based on reality now, yeah. not based on like this worm that lives in my head that says, I feel so bad. I have to eat Taco Bell. You know, yeah. that was, that was all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to just go eat some comfort food and go back to sleep. And I would like ignore, I would skip work sometimes. I would like ignore friends. I would not take my dog out, you know, because it was just like this worm was getting so big in my head. I really love the analogy of the worm, you know, <laughs> it's like this thing in my head that is like trying to take over, you know, gosh, that you just opened up this whole other interpretation of the film that I think I just love. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't think about it from like a, a full sobriety kind of perception. But yeah, I think mm -hmm. it's, it absolutely is, you know, now kind of thinking about it, like for me, I, it is more when I'm drunk, I, like I become mm -hmm. a completely different person. Like I, I, I'm absolutely not me. I'm horrible. Mm -hmm. I say horrible things. I'm aggressive. You know, I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm an arsehole basically when I yeah. drink. Same here. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you see that, and you know, perhaps it's very similar to Voss when, when she's in the other bodies, that's her drunk self and she's being mm -hmm. the most destructive human ever you know, as mm -hmm. we are when we become drunk. <laughs> yeah, I think about it like my filter is completely gone. And like those intrusive thoughts that come into my head that I know I'm not going to act on, like when I'm drunk, there's act nothing on. to stop me from acting yeah. on that, you know. And so yeah. I've got, I, gosh, I don't even want to think about some of the things that I've done. A lot of them I don't remember, and I'm kind of glad that I don't. <laughs> but um, And I think that's one of the things that's so brilliant about this movie is that it is ambiguous in a lot of ways you yeah. know and I think that you can really kind of project your own reading of it on I mean we've talked about at least three I think different interpretations of yeah. watching this story unfold um I did want to ask um you know when we first started doing comfort horror movies I was like oh we'll watch movies like the lost boys and like fright night <laughs> <laughs> and as we've been kind of exploring some of the darker movies that I'm surprised by finding comfort in I just wanted to ask what is it that you think you find comforting what keeps drawing you back to watching this movie over and over again I think for me it's the aspect of um, what we spoke about at the beginning that it kind of says all of the feelings that I can't say I'm mm -hmm. I'm a very emotionally closed off person I really mm -hmm. struggle to talk about emotions I mean I'm getting mm -hmm. much better since having <laughs> therapy but you know mm -hmm. I, I think about three years ago I can't remember the last person that saw me cry you know have any mm -hmm. kind of like I'm very I mean I'm quite laid back anyway but you know, mm. showing an emotion that I deemed as weak, you know, fear, upset, you know, those kinds of things. I was like, nope, no, 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 no. <laughs> and if you talk about uh -huh. it, I was like, then it's obvious you have that emotion. So no, just, you know, mm -hmm. brick wall, basically. Yeah. And I think, you know, since doing therapy and being able to say that, and getting better at it, but it's still difficult. Having a film like Possessor is 
on a day, especially when I'm going, okay, my mind's screaming at me, everything's jumbled, I feel like shit, I can put possessor Mm. on and it almost kind of just translates those feelings and lets me experience them and kind of like purge them in a controlled way where Mm. no one can kind of take that away from me. Nothing can happen. And I, I love having that place to go to and you know for me I I do it a lot with extreme horror and in sometimes you know I'll put a film on like Snowtown which is Mm. bleak as hell but it Uh just it kind of again like portrays the feelings I'm feeling at that point and then almost Mm -hmm. makes them disperse away and then I'm like oh it's like a little blankie that you know Uh was over me Yeah, I remember when I was getting divorced, I watched true crime just mm. like crazy. Like I couldn't get enough. And it was, and I just remember thinking, at least I'm not dead, you know? And that was, I think, what I was getting out of it is like I was seeing, it was helping me put my life in perspective. Like mm. it, I'm in this place right now, but it could be worse. And it's like rehearsing. You know, it's like jumping into somebody else's head and watching the movie play out in that way. So, yeah, you know. Um, Laura, what about you? So this was a first watch for me. Um, I don't know why I hadn't gotten around to watching it other than it seemed like an intense one. And I was never quite in the mood to pop on a movie with such an intense reputation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. However, I'm so glad I watched it for this. This gave me an excuse to watch it. Uh, I love the way it looked. I love the concept. I love how fully realized that concept was and how it was visualized. It is very dark and violent, but it doesn't feel oppressive to watch to me. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed to be more interested in the story than the sadism is the only way I can put it to myself because it's like it's it's fucking dark as hell, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. It just doesn't give me those that icky feeling that can sometimes happen with the more uh, with the darker, more sadistic films that we mm-hmm. tend to watch so there's also like a lot of themes to unpack and a lot of different ways to look at this movie so that immediately makes my my ears go up like a little dog um mm-hmm. I, I just yeah i thought amazing performances that must have really demanded a lot from the actors but everyone was so good uh it just and really fun to watch as well despite mm-hmm. again it being dark it, like the, their performances made it really like fun and edge of your seat and you wanted to know what was going to happen mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it a lot. I'm definitely going to end up rewatching this one and sharing it with others. I'll probably rewatch it around Halloween because I don't know. I just like loved it. It's it's not like a pure horror film. It's got more of a sci-fi dystopian kind of element to it, but it does feel like horror in its DNA to me. Mm-hmm. I, I just loved it. So I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah, I loved it too. Um, But yeah, I agree. It's really not over the top, you know, and I feel like the gore and the violence is a part of the story. And like, there are a couple of times where I'm like, oh, they they like put a little extra flair into this. Um, (laughs) Like where the blood is shooting out of the bullet wound in her face, you know, it's like Uh they made this look really good um, because and you can really tell that there was a lot of care put into the effects, you know, but I didn't find it exploitative at all. I didn't find it like violent for the sake of being violent. And I was really struck by how violent it was, which is something I want to talk about because I think it is important to the story and to the characters. It's essential, I think, to the story. So yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, I love Andrea Riceboro. I hope I'm saying her name right. 
Um, she's <laughs> this is a total sidebar, but she's I'm really into these um, ASMR and movies videos. And she's in one that is in that um, Battle of the Sexes movie where she's playing this hairdresser and she's just playing with Emma Stone's hair ah. in this so soothing way. And I've watched that thing like. 50 billion times and the clip right in front of it is actually from they look like people so it's like my favorite <laughs> thing ever i can't imagine that's probably where the all the voices are in the guy's head yeah uh-huh yeah yeah yeah. and there's a lot of like whispering and stuff it's so good and then rossif sutherland he is Kiefer sutherland's half brother oh and donald sutherland's son from another from another mother um <laughs> So, and he's also the dad in Orphan First Kill. So that was an interesting little me watching. Oh, he's movies. the husband, the husband, not the um, possessed man. No, 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 not Colin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's also, I thought he reminded me a little bit of Matt Berry, who's my mm-hmm. number one crush. He's kind of got that like, he, you know, uh, heavy set features, you know, yeah. I don't know how else to describe them. He's kind of like a thick dad energy. And yeah. I just I found him so charming and Mm-hmm. kind of hot so me too yeah and but with like a shagginess to him too that yeah. I also like you know um you should check out Orphan First Kill you'd like it um anyways okay so <laughs> back to this movie um this one really really got me I want to make a joke that it hit me over the head <laughs> because when I was done like the top of my head legit hurt you know mm-hmm. anytime I see somebody have some kind of wound like that like for the mm-hmm. rest of the movie I'm like don't touch their head <laughs> yeah <laughs> Right, right. But I found it was like so visceral, you know. And then also just being a new cat owner, I also am now afraid I have catworms in my in my brain. So, you know. I mean, you might, but all they do is make you like cats. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I already like them. That's Maybe tox- that's toxoplasmosis. Why I like them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a whole theory. They right. just have infected us. They're like, take care of me. Yeah, that's how Meow. they get you. Yeah. Don't uh, care if I'm a jerk and destroy your whole house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like why else why else do we like cats? It makes no actual sense. I know. They lay on you, they keep you from working. You know? <laughs> All right. So now I'd like us to recalibrate. <laughs> And talk about the movie. So I was really fascinated by like a lot of these themes of self-destruction. That was the what I really picked up on. And it really like the things that I'm afraid to say sometimes. And I'm even afraid to say it now because I'm afraid people are going to think that I'm terrible. But like is that, you know, sometimes I wonder, do I actually want to be a wife and a mom or Am I that because that's what I grew up with someone telling me I'm supposed to be, you know? And so I think I've been wrestling with that for a long time, um, for like 10 years, you know, since, well, maybe 11 years since that's how long I've been married. But um, I remember like in the first couple of years um, that I was married, I would just kind of find myself looking around and like, who are you? How Mm -hmm. did I get that? I would have dreams, like nightmares about like having to go on like, Tinder wasn't around then, but like match.com and like finding somebody. Um, and then I would wake up and be like, oh, wait, no, I'm married. <laughs> so, you know, and you, then you had nightmares about my life. Right? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, but I, and even with like kids, like sometimes I would find myself looking at my, these little babies and like, who are you? Like, well, how yeah, did you get in my house? You know? I don't think that's an abnormal thing. I mean, I've heard that from so many people, and I'd be willing to bet that if more people felt like safe to articulate that thought, it would not 
it would not be uncommon, you know, yeah. uh, cause it is, it's, it's a surreal thing and it's a whole shift in your identity that especially like for mothers, I mean, you know, I'm obviously not a parent, but I know enough parents and I can sort of em empathize with just like you carry, uh, you grow a human in your body and, mm -hmm. and, you know, give birth to it or, or have it cut out of you one way or the other. It's, it's a traumatizing and biological experience, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I would love for us, speaking of Cronenberg, to cover the brood at some point because that really yeah. gets into a lot of that. Um, mm -hmm. But so, of course, I mean, of course, to me, none of that strikes me as like, oh, she's a bad mom. I think you're just mm -hmm. being honest about the thoughts that would naturally occur to you as a human mm -hmm. undergoing what is a surreal experience, really. So, I mean, that that's my opinion. That's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's one one of the things that I really connected with is like, that's a thing that has lived in my brain for a long time. And I have gotten to a point where I'm like, no, this is what I actually want with my life. I might be jealous of friends who are single and who can do whatever they want and stay out all night and don't have to share the TV with someone who may not want to watch, you know, small stuff like that. Like yeah, I might yeah. be the grass is always greener kind of thing, but I am actually happy with the life that I have. But not always, you know, there are some days where I'm like, man, I just want to go live in a fucking tree house. And it felt really good to see that, to see someone wrestle with it, you know, and it's mm -hmm. almost like she goes through this self-destruction. And so I get to get that catharsis out. Like, no, this is the destruction of this idealized family, you know, and yes, what's yes. left is what you actually want and what you have, you know. And I, and I think there's such a tension in this movie of uncertainty of what anyone really wants or mm -hmm. why they're doing what they do. Uh, and even, even with the way this movie plays out, I think you could read it so many different ways that like, this was what she always wanted, or she was manipulated into getting rid of her family. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's so hard to say. And that ambiguity pleases me because mm -hmm. again, it's one of those movies you can, you can read into it and make an argument for either interpretation and, mm -hmm. um, it's, it, it, I think it just makes it richer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when I was talking to Zoe earlier, she brought up like, is the family actually real? You know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. What if they're not? You know, what if, because at the beginning of the film, we see Gerder say, you've left this life behind. I thought you wanted to leave this life. So could we say that this whole, her going back to Michael is a simulation to get to allow her to destroy this link to her past life so that she can free herself. Yeah. And it could have been somebody else's family from somebody left over from somebody else she possessed, or maybe it was Gerder's family, you know, mm -hmm. or who the hell knows. Cause there's a lot of parallels between her and Gerder and it's like Gerder is kind of turning her into herself. Mm -hmm. You know, she does, from the very beginning of the movie, she's doing these weird little like hand like uh, twitches and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you see, when Tasia comes out of the the pod, she's kind of writhing her hand around and it's like twitching a little bit and rubbing her wrist. And you see mm -hmm. Gerder doing the same thing. And obviously I know it's because like that was Gerder's previous job, but mm -hmm. I, I do feel like she's trying, she sees herself in Tasia and is, they're kind of paralleling each other. And I don't, I, you know, so, I, and there's a lot of like overlap there and with the themes of identity and d diffusion of identity being such a prevalent thing in the movie anyway, it's kind of like, 
yeah, you could read this like any which way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, literally, they even parallel each other at the end. Like the way this whole thing is structured is that she's laying here and then Girder is supposed to be like lounging in there the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like how much of this is Girder manipulating what she wants. Mm -hmm. But then the whole thing with the worm really fucked me up. I was like what do I actually want? Is this me or is this this like societal ideal of what I think I'm supposed to want? And that's what's actually in love with my husband or that's what actually wants to live where I live and do all of these things, you know, and this idea of not ever really trusting your own head is just really unsettling you know Mm -hmm. and then if there's like is there a girder laying on a couch right next to my brain that is just whispering these things in my head is she the one I should trust or is what I see what I should trust you know exactly and it's like shit there there's that interesting little thing they do at the beginning and the end of the film where she's um, sort of resetting as herself and she's handing her objects mm-hmm. from her life and she takes the little mounted butterfly out and she, at the beginning of the movie she says I killed this and mounted it myself I felt bad about it I still feel bad about it and at the end of the movie she just says I killed it and mm-hmm. then they kind of look at each other and are like oh good you're a full-blown psycho now love it right um, and it I don't know which of those is true it's like you kind of get the sense that from Gerder's perspective she knew that Taz was lying or Taz she was lying to herself and was like trying to get her to admit that she actually likes killing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at, so that's like, I think the surface read of it, but mm-hmm. also if you apply that other sense of confusion and uncertainty to it, the movie is bookended by these two possibilities of Tasha. And it's like, in my opinion, like, most people's identities aren't black and white, you know, mm-hmm. like we, we are a mix the things we want are a mixture of our socialization and our biology and, you know, the world that we inhabit, the society we inhabit. So it's like, I think that both can be true. I mean, obviously in this context, this woman like literally just m- killed her husband and was fine with him ha- and like shot her own son. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she's probably like a psycho, but, right? But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, if you take that from a more like metaphysical perspective, it's it's just very much like about integrating different aspects of your personality, and all of the the thrust of this plot is trying to pigeonhole her as one or the other. Mm-hmm. There's something pathological about this of the premise of the film, which is like you can only be one thing, and mm-hmm. if you're not that, then you've failed somehow. I don't know. I, I've just started seeing a new therapist, like literally only had one session, but she spoke about having some background in gestalt therapy and I, mm-hmm. and parts therapy, which I haven't heard a Ooh. lot about, but it's, I think it's the idea of that is like saying, this is one part of my identity and this is another part of my identity. And we naturally compartmentalize in order to cope with the different things that life throws at us, but mm-hmm. also it can become maladaptive because you have not integrated these different sides of yourself and so therefore you always feel like you're torn or pushed in two directions and a lot Mm -hmm. of that can come from early childhood stuff or whatever but this Mm -hmm. movie really feels like a morality play for that idea because there's so much to do about this diffusion of identity so I don't know I don't know what I'm getting at but it's just that thought struck me yeah yeah I've uh, talked to my therapist about parts therapy also um, and she's done some training on that and that is like we've 
through talking about it, kind of discovered that's why I think I'm really drawn to tarot cards and oracle decks because it's like an image that I can connect with and and access the part of my head that relates to this role. But you're right, like you you want to make sure all of those parts are integrated into a whole because we are not one thing. And that's why I think the image of this butterfly is so interesting, you know, because when you're taking like a beautiful live thing that is temporary and you're mounting it so that you can enjoy it forever, but it's dead. It's never going to like light on your shoulder. It's never going to like fly and, or it, it's not alive anymore. You had to destroy it in order to enjoy it. I uh, didn't mean to rhyme there because I feel like it was <laughs> a little more heavy, but, um, and I think I was thinking about it as like, that's what she's doing with her family, like her husband and her son. And I think I could still see that reading. But I think when you taught, when you said pigeonholing her in one or the other, that sparked that thing. They're like, no, they're trying to make her the butterfly. Like, are you the butterfly that is a wife and mom and lives in our house and we entertain friends and then we have sex and at the end of the night? Or are you this assassin that's going to take over the thing? And it's like she, I don't know what she actually wants, you know? Yeah. And it seems like what she actually enjoys is being in the body of other people, yes. which to me says she doesn't want either of those things, yeah. you know? some, or at least some, not fully. You know? Yeah, she feels uncomfortable in herself because mm -hmm. she's so split. She's split between these two identities that are completely compartmentalized from each other in, in that mm -hmm. like her family can't know about it and her duties as an assassin are like antithetical to being like a family lady mm -hmm. sorry i got <laughs> thrown off by that yeah. phrasing of my family lady uh, I like it. yeah family that's that's the the gender swapped uh family guy oh pilot. yeah destined to write lady. <laughs> like like Peter, uh, uh, never mind i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it yeah so, so I felt like I was making a somewhat intelligent oh, point sorry. and I come no 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 I did this to myself <laughs> just the, the I love the butterfly as the symbol of that like you mm -hmm. it's sort of caught between life and death and much like she is caught between existing and not existing as herself and obviously this this organization is incredibly toxic and manipulative so mm -hmm. just by that alone I'm I'm sort of swayed toward thinking like this is this is killing her. This is a, another worm that's eating her from the inside out and she can mm -hmm. only escape. And it's why she always, I think, might struggle. Another thing that I thought was interesting is the the fact that she's unable to, like, quote, kill herself as yeah. any of these people um, mm -hmm. because she has no problem killing and being very savage and intimate about the killing. She likes to not shoot. She likes to, you know, feel the blood splatter. She likes mm -hmm. it to be really up close and personal, but she can't do it to herself. And they kept saying at various points in the movie, like, oh, that's the host identity fi fighting mm -hmm. it, like fighting her. But I, I read it as like, it was just her not wanting to leave that body, mm -hmm. her not wanting to leave that life. And she, she becomes because the opening sequence of the film is her like emotionally calibrating and feeling all the feelings of this person that she is not and so like to 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 kill herself is to like break up with this life that she's become mm -hmm. intimately connected with and probably feels more vividly than anything in her own life because mm -hmm. she's feeling the emotions of people that aren't like psychopaths you know um mm -hmm. and so it, it must be like doing a real number on her to be able to feel 
feelings in a different way than she herself as Tasia Voss has ever felt emotion. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know. I it, it's it's a real it's a thing I could probably think I need to watch the movie like three more times to like fully mm-hmm. wrap my head around it. But I was just really caught on that. And um in my notes and the way that Andrea Riseborough like um physically embodies this character, I wrote she herself is such a fragile butterfly, which is like a Hannibal Lecter thing to say. Uh-huh. Oh, y'all such a fragile butterfly. Um, but she she's like <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, right, right in the ears. Right. <laughs> no, it's funny. It's good. It's funny. But like she looks so physically fragile in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. Like, especially when she first comes out of the the pod or whatever. She looks like so wrong strung out. And mm-hmm. I mean she's actually extremely pretty, but and but but delicate and like she's got that kind of like papery, pale, thin skin. And mm-hmm. I think that that physicality of that character says a lot. Uh in that casting choice and in the way that she embodies this character, it, it sort of re- reads to me as again, like she just she's hurt and she's seeking her something. And that this this job that she's doing is eroding her. And it's it's killing her, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or killing some part of her that might be essential to that she might still have a chance of integrating into her full self, you know. But yeah. it is in itself. So to me, the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, that's the worm, you know. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I had read, I think, her not being able to pull the trigger as not wanting, like the host versus her but I think that's a really interesting point is that she maybe just doesn't want to leave the body and if you think about like the reason she would want to leave the body like the really simple reason is she just committed all of these horrific crimes and when she leaves the body she doesn't have to go to jail and so there's part of me that's like maybe what she wants is to have the consequences of this destruction you know like this movie is so much like there are so many people that just completely blow up their entire lives and the idea that she can just kind of do that and then drop out of it like that is at the beginning of the movie she says I feel like I might be dangerous to my son and my husband she we don't see her say that but Gerder mentions that she mentioned she thought she would be dangerous to them and I think that it's like she's seeing, she's destroying all of these lives as other people. And so she, of course, sees like what would happen if she destroyed her own life. And there's part of me that wonders if she doesn't want to be able to drop out of that because there's like this numbness, I think, that you feel when you look at her. And I mean, even like the way she's styled, she's very mm-hmm. like monochromatic she's very like muted you know and it's almost like she's not a real person when she's in her own body exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and if you also look at like the overkill you know like she she doesn't want to just pull the trigger and have it be over she wants to feel it she and she looks at the blood like running down her hands it's like I want this to to be real or I, I want it's like a dissociation uh-huh like you don't necessarily want to be doing it but it's like you don't want to just play a video game of your life you know yeah yeah I I really think there's something there to the mm-hmm. I, and I don't I don't totally know what it is to like the way she seems to want to kill but again it is mm-hmm. it's very like the hot red blood versus this sort of ghostly ethereal figure that she is in her day-to-day life like she wants mm-hmm. to feel something right uh and this gives her a feeling even if it's uh, horrible, violent, brutal feeling, you know, but I don't, I feel like there's more to it, but I, I just don't know. It, it's so yeah. interesting. 
It is. And I feel like like the ambiguity is like it can be a lot of different things because like when Zoe and I talked about her not being able to pull the trigger, we talked about it in a completely different way. And I think there are just so many interesting ways to read this because we've all felt like this. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think most of us have probably at least had one experience in our lives where we were like, who am I? How did I get here? What is like this feeling of like wanting to come out of your skin, you know? And, and I mean, dissociation and dis- depersonalization is such a hallmark of trauma. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know much about Taz. Uh, I keep what, because they call her Vaz. I keep wanting to call her Taz, which uh-huh. is not a fucking thing. Uh, <laughs> Taz, yeah, like we don't really know much about her life other than what she says when she handles those objects. But mm-hmm. to me, she feel like, and again, another like feeling like a ghost of yourself or like you're not really in the room as often, especially uh, I'm, I'm rereading The Body Keeps the Score. Mm. And there's one mo- moment where he talks about depersonalization and how people will react differently to trauma. And a lot of people react to it by just going so deep inside themselves that they don't feel anything anymore. And that's that's depersonalization. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they just have a very flat affect. And he said it's very hard when early in my career, it was very hard to treat these people because you feel all the life go out of the room when they're there. And it's like almost like my, I found my mind wandering when they would talk because there was no emotional connection to anything they were saying. Mm. And he's like, that's what led to this realization that this is actually a, a, a lesser known symptom of trauma. So mm-hmm. Taz strikes me. Fuck, I did it again. Vaz, Taja, <laughs> ah! She strikes me as someone who is just going through the motions and has no like core identity. And it makes, mm-hmm. you know, it makes me wonder what happened to you? You know, right. what's, what is the true origin story here? And ha- are you just a shell that has been taken advantage of by different situations and filled with whatever people want to fill you with? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and to me, it's like, there's some part of her that wants to still find herself at mm-hmm. least early in the film, but by the end of the film, all hope is lost for her, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can read that as a victory for psycho assassins everywhere or you can read it as like an incredible tragedy yeah for the, hu- the human spirit <laughs> right well and like because you see her practice the lines like oh i'm hungry you know mm-hmm. or, you know just like t- practicing being a human with other people yes. and like the thing about that is like that reality of her being like a part of this family is in relation to other people. And so there's an amount of control that she's not going to have when she's there and she has to like really engage with other people. And I think what we find is that I think that's what she wants. It's not necessarily maybe she wants to be in this role or she loves these people. It's that she wants to, to be a real human you know Mm -hmm. and like if you look at the two different sexual experiences she has it's like yes she is enjoying it so much more when she's in this other body when she and I mean you could look at it like the stakes are gone there like she can there's a freedom that she can do whatever she wants with these people because she's never going to see this girl again or she's going to kill her tomorrow you know well I mean yes and I and I think that still reads into my it it reinforces my reading of her not wanting to kill herself because she has found an intimate connection with these people more than she finds with herself. I loved that scene where she's as, as Colin is 
having sex with Ava and mm-hmm. you're seeing like her face. And again, a movie that's brave enough to show erect penis. Um, very rare, as rare mm-hmm. as, as a, as a warm day in spring, but yeah. And so I love those <laughs> shots where like, it was like her body and his body. Mm-hmm. And that had that you could do a whole reading of that as like gender fluidity mm-hmm. and identity fluidity. And it, it was like, it was actually kind of like sexy uh, to me as a mm-hmm. bisexual. Um, and, uh, I was like, I'm so con- like bisexual <laughs> panic intensifies, you know? Uh-huh. Um, also that guy was like so hot. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm calming down. Um, but like, is there's just like, that was such a like, cool and rich and fucked up scene and mm-hmm. yeah and it totally is what you're saying of like it also tells you something about her character yeah I don't know I just it's something that like I watched it and was like whoa and I'm like I need to think about this more and right. not just for sexy reasons but I just there's something <laughs> really interesting going on here and I don't know how to put my finger on it yeah have you seen you won't be alone I don't think so. It's this newer movie and it's got Numi Rapace in it, although she's oh. she's only in it for a brief period. But it is about this witch that has the ability to inhabit the skin of other people and animals. Oh, I saw the trailer for this when it was at the music box and I never did mm. see it. But yeah, I wanted to. It's so good. But it, it plays with this idea of living in someone else's body and experiencing like pleasure. And I, again, I'm a cis woman talking about this so it's an experience that I haven't really had in that way but I think it's a it it was kind of an access point for me to kind of understand how that that thinking would affect someone you know yeah it's it's just such an interesting thing and it mm-hmm. thematically makes sense in this movie that's all about identity um that yeah. you might be putting on different hats and trying out different experiences mm-hmm. not and in this case not in every case obviously but in this case it's i think it probably stems from a lack of the sense of self that she's only able to like experience the full spectrum of human emotion by going through the motions of these different people she's inhabiting mhm and I really only say that because she's like literally an assassin who kills people. Like right. she, she, that I just assume baseline that this character is somewhat psychopathic. Uh, or yeah. Some, you know, uh, is there a word that's more clinical that I'm completely has left my brain? Um, um, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like a uh, cuckoo bananas. <laughs> yeah, cuckoo bananas. Um, no. A bad, a bad man. A bad lady. Yeah. I, I just think it's interesting, and and again, it's such a like rich theme that I I don't I don't fully my fully thoughts haven't fully processed on it. Yeah. Well, but that's something else I wanted to talk about because like we have been talking about her and her experience in another person's body, but it is like this person is losing his own control of his yes. body. He's losing his personhood and his autonomy. And so like you could look at her as the worm and she's oh. the one who's in there controlling and pulling the strings. And I think that's what the surface level read of that speech is, you know, but I felt really bad for Colin. <laughs> oh my God. I felt so bad for him. I mean, mm-hmm. even from the opening scene, I think the reveal when you first, the movie starts and you just see this like beautiful young woman with like a wire in her head and all this. And then she kills that guy. And the reveal that it was Tasia inhabiting her body, I found Mm -hmm. really like violent and disturbing because it's like, here's this sort of, she does look kind of like worm-like when she first comes out of the pot. And it's like, Mm. here's this horrible parasite that just like blew up the life, the promising life of this beautiful young woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, like to me, this is, 
this is another way to read a lot of this. I thought there was a really strong theme of like the worker class slash overclass dynamic, like mm -hmm. basically like the oppressive nature of capitalism and what it does to us psychologically. Mm -hmm. I noticed like the people she possesses all seem to wear uniforms. I mean, we really only get to see two of them, which mm -hmm. is the the woman from the beginning. I think her name is, I can't remember the character's Holly, name. Holly, I think. Holly. And then Colin, they all wear uniforms. They're in the, they're, so they're coded as in like the lower rungs of society. Whereas mm -hmm. she and the organization she works for are like at the other far end of the spectrum. They literally use and then dispose of these people's bodies and identities and their whole lives. She herself obliterates any sense of her own identity in service to this like shadowy organization. And as Gerder is having the conversation about the, um, the data mining company, she's like, once we do this, we own the company. So you know that the only purpose this organization really serves is some kind of like political mm -hmm. power, money play thing. It's definitely like she's at the apex of society or close to it. And all mm -hmm. the people that they're possessing are at the, are in the bottom rungs. Mm -hmm. and, and that's also echoed like throughout the film, like Colin, uh, especially with Colin, it's unclear what the characters actually like want to do as we mm -hmm. discussed already with Tasia and what they feel compelled to do by their jobs and their position in society. Mm -hmm. We get a little bit of it. And I think it's revealed as she as her identity kind of fuses with Colin. It's unclear before he's even possessed if he actually loves Ava or if he's doing all of this as a way to get out of being like a drug dealer or a petty criminal, mm -hmm. even if it's like doing this miserable job with spying on people for her horrible father. But mm -hmm. he may see it as a path to a better life. Like, he's clearly, like, sleeping with all her friends. It's like, what does he want? Why does he? And, and she keeps, like, anytime that Tazia is Colin and he's, like, affectionate with Ava, she's like, what's wrong with you? So you get the sense that, like, he wasn't a happy man mm -hmm. and, and was, and maybe, like, why is he doing anything he's doing to begin with? And I think that that is further sorry this is a long spiel this is yeah. further this further played us out when Taz when Tasia through Colin first picks a fight with Sean Bean mm -hmm. like uh in that party scene um before she kills him she's picks a fight with him and starts screaming like I think you owe me an apology like and then like punches him and is like I'm a giant I'm a giant <laughs> uh -huh. like it's like referencing this desire to dominate this man who has dominated him in every other way. So again, that's like that social class dynamic playing mm -hmm. out. And I, I think in that moment, you see that she understands Colin and that he was also the perfect mark for this organization because his killing this man is extremely believable. Like this guy that is just like has his boot on his ass this whole time. And I just want to say that like, I know sometimes the show gets criticized for exploring sociological themes more than the psychological ones. But to me, this is such a perfect example of how those two things are are like inextricably intertwined mm -hmm. this is depersonalization via like capitalism dissociative identity disorder through your work and your life mm -hmm. and the struggle to maintain equilibrium between the two i haven't seen severance but it was striking me as a little bit of like the themes of that show from what i've heard about it like mm -hmm. this idea that like why do we do anything that we do um mm -hmm. is it some innate desire or are we just trying to survive in the conditions that we've been thrust into and that the, the gulf between those two things, how it robs us of any kind of genuine human experience. Yeah, that was those were my thoughts on it. It was just such a like theme that was jumping out at me, especially. And I think that's what adds to the sort of more sci-fi dystopian feeling of this movie is like a social critique. Yeah. Um, but but it's also such a deeply personal, uh, psychological way of exploring those themes that mm -hmm. is really, really compelling to me. Well, and it's like 
it's like saying the personal is political. It's like personal life and political life don't exist in bubbles, you know, and yes. that's the same thing with our like societal life and our psycho like analytical brains. It's like like going back to the parts therapy that we were talking about. It's like when you compartmentalize those things, then mm-hmm. you miss all of the effects that one has on the other because we are complete people who live in a world that affects us and we affect the world. And so something that political is politically happening, that affects me. Even yes. if it affects somebody I know and that's how it affects me. If it does, you know, and so like capitalism affects every day of our lives and it's like the it's like the devil convinced us that it doesn't exist we're just so used to it we don't see it you know yeah we refuse to acknowledge that that can be the thing that is driving a lot of our behavior yeah uh when it's literally the like how we have to survive you know I mean it's insane to me that people don't a lot of not people but like you know some people can't seem to marry those two ideas together to me that speaks to like you just said like the way that we've been manipulated Mm -hmm. by the society we live in much like tazia is manipulated by this organization much like she manipulates the bodies of these people Mm -hmm. it's like a shit rolling downhill effect Mm -hmm. and it's like and it shows you how it damages both the people at the top and the people at the bottom um yeah yeah, I, it's just like I love. That's why I really love this. I, the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, this movie fucking rules because it's like it really packed so much that's so relevant to right now mm-hmm. into this really compelling story that is still just like a fun, freaky sci-fi horror movie. Uh, yeah, totally. It's cool. Well, and because like for the last couple of years, we have changed the way capitalism operates, like necessarily because we couldn't be around each other. And so, I mean, I'm not sticking a needle in your brain, but like we've never met in real life yeah. and we are having this conversation via technology, but that, and that affects the way we talk to each other and that affects the way we are around each other. And it just, it's like, I feel like when we have such a limited view of what therapy is or what mental health is like mental health is really just like how your brain operates in the world you know and there it's has so many more wide-ranging fingers that just reach out and I think when we look at it through just a diagnosis or just Mm -hmm. like a like a list of symptoms we skip a lot of what makes us human in a world you know absolutely it's like the the diagnoses and the symptom lists and all that are there so that you can sort people into categories that it both serves like some kind of scientific method and Mm -hmm. path to treatment it's also largely driven by like insurance and the modern Mm -hmm. healthcare system at least here in the states so it's like i think we often at any given point in history are so convinced that the paradigm we're currently in is the correct one or Mm -hmm. like at least going in the correct direction but how often do we like look back at various points of history and say like those morons, you know, right. Who's to say that, you know, like, I I do think like, I mean, I think we need to have documents like the DSM. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I have my diagnosis because that means I get to go to therapy every week, you know? Otherwise it would be so diffuse and confusing and you wouldn't know where to start. But like, I don't think we stop there. I don't think you can look at it as just that. And I don't think the DSM takes into account a lot of social factors mm-hmm. that often lead to say certain people of certain races getting overdiagnosed as one thing and mm-hmm. others diagnosed as another uh, it is itself an artifact of this of the society it was produced by yeah so it's like everything must be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt and we need to think 
more sociologically and more hum- humanistically, I guess, mm-hmm. about about these things or we're missing a big part of the puzzle. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, and okay, one more thing I want to say about the whole kind of capitalist um, side of it is I think that I was really struck by Sean Bean's, I can't remember his character. Yeah, I just name. keep calling him Sean Bean. In this. Yes. <laughs> Asshole dad is really his yeah, character's uh-huh. name. But like he gives this speech about like I'm bored and that's when it sparks creation. And I think if we look at him versus Colin, Colin is clearly very bored with his life. He's very going through the motions like they even notice when he stops for a second to watch the people having sex. Mm-hmm. Like They're like you're you're actually engaging with this. You're not just skipping through it. And because Sean Bean has the means to create when he gets bored, he has made himself this successful, like megalomaniac guy, you know, Mm -hmm. but Colin, like his, his only option is really to destroy or, and if we look at Tasia too, like she's bored, she's going through the motions in a certain way. And I think I'm, I'm kind of stretching a little bit to make this theory work, but like, that that's the difference between having means and being controlled by people that have means. You no, know? I, I really think that's relevant, you know, because it's like there's only one reason he's that Colin is sitting on the steps and this guy is lording over everyone from the balcony. And that's mm-hmm. the opportunities he was afforded in life. And it usually comes from generational wealth mm-hmm. and all this. And so, like, that, that's what I meant when it was like it makes so they definitely found the mark in Colin. Yeah, because it's like, of course, this like handsome young man who is desperately like trying to scrabble his way up the social ladder by dating this man's daughter would like intensely resent this man because he should. Yeah. Cause this guy's a piece of fucking shit who exploits him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, th- those like the, the types of job that he, he can do, it, it numbs the soul. He's not allowed any moment of reflection and it's for this company that is invading the privacy of all these people. So, uh, mm-hmm. in, in a way that I'm sure actually does happen. Yeah. So, or if not exactly what we saw, something so close to it that, you know, it might as well be. Yeah. Uh, so, so I don't see how, how you can't read that as a critique of modern late capitalism. Side note, is that what data mining is? Yes. I was horrified. I was like, oh my God, what well, do mining- see in my house? <laughs> I mean, data, I don't know if it's as literal as like somebody's spying on you through your webcam, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is a lot of like marketing is all about, um, trying to get as much data out of people as possible. It's the mm-hmm. whole thing with like why advertisers flocked to Facebook and why Facebook was so successful for so mm-hmm. long, because they basically gave data to any company that wanted it. So you could target advertisements and that got into all the like 2016 election stuff mm-hmm. and, and why people of a certain you know, race and age range are being constantly targeted with right wing propaganda and how that led to where we are now. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is that's what these these companies do is they just use different platforms to get as much information about you as possible so they can more effectively sell you stuff or manipulate you to vote a certain way or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And that that was like the, you know, somebody probably I always think about unintended consequences and I can't remember if it was you're wrong about or another show on NPR or some bullshit, but basically they talked about the early internet was defined by a choice that somebody made, which was like, it had a chance to be a paid service or a free service. Mm -hmm. And I'm oversimplifying this because I don't remember all the details, but basically they chose to keep it free but be monetized by advertising, Mm. which led to the early internet days of pop-up ads and all that kind of stuff, which is what led to where we are now and terminating in something as seemingly absurd as the data mining company in this film. 
it when you you could have paid a little bit up front, but because they wanted it to be seemingly egalitarian and have equal access for everyone to this portal of of endless information, mm-hmm. we basically sold ourselves instead of mm. selling you know instead of paying an upfront fee for the internet and right. it's like that that unintended consequence of that is the world that we live in now yeah. and leading up to like trump getting elected president you know through, uh-huh. through like cambridge analytica stuff you know yeah so it's like we accidentally monetized ourselves and our personal data yeah and i think that's a big part of the theme of this film yeah well that i mean that's the worm you know it's like mm-hmm. do i actually want to vote for this person because i i resonate with what this person stands for or is it the worm that is telling me all of these messages or like the Mm -hmm. the worm that tells me that I want these shoes yeah just because I've been seeing them and seeing them over and over and over again and it just sneaks in and and you don't realize it you know yeah you don't realize that yeah it's not I wouldn't have necessarily wanted this on my own you know yeah exactly yeah I mean I have been getting these targeted ads on Instagram and Son of a bitch, I bought a pair of shoes yesterday because... Oh, I buy stuff on Instagram all the goddamn time. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, I have to not look at this app because I will buy things. Like, I know, because like, I do. oh, I do want that thing. Oh, nice, nice job marketing. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. It it's, works. Like, it it does, works. and it's terrifying mm-hmm. because it's not just selling us shoes. It's selling us who we are, you know, yes. or who we think we are, or yes. who we think we're supposed to be, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's when my brain starts to melt yeah. when I watch yeah, this yeah, movie. Yeah. <laughs> And I think, but I think it's so important. I think we need to be uh-huh. doing more self-reflection like this because it's like, of course, we're all being manipulated by this because we're all human. You know, right. it doesn't, it's not like a failing, a personal failing. It's, it's, it's the system, right? And we need to confront it. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it is affecting our mental health, which is mm-hmm. the marriage between capitalism and politics Psycho- and, and psychology. And yeah, psychology. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Speaking of heads exploding, you want to talk about the violence and the war? Yeah. <laughs> I sure do. Um, I really enjoyed the violence and gore in this movie. It is very intense and upsetting at mm-hmm. points, but um, it's also like cool as hell. Like I really loved the scene where Colin slash as Tasha as Colin attacks Sean Bean in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's it's so scary. Like first, the way that they lead into it, where he kind of like comes in and like sits down at the table and puts the gun on the table, is so like the actor is so good in that moment. Um, it's so alarming. But then the way that he like kills him or doesn't fails to kill him, basically, which made me laugh kind of because you got a double tap. Um, right. <laughs> nice. But like the thing he does to his teeth, I can't even remember Ooh, what it is. He's like, like a jamming fire poker. some. Yeah, he's jamming mm. it into his mouth and then twists it and all the teeth break and then he like jams it into his eye and he's just like. Um, the only, I also found it, it's like brutal and sadistic and awful, but it's also really satisfying to me to see this horrible man brought so low. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't hurt that Sean Bean is like very good at playing smarmy assholes and that I know he has a bunch of domestic abuse um counts against him so mm-hmm. I was like watching this like yeah fuck up his mouth mm-hmm. um but <laughs> yeah yeah just keep going keep going right yeah. but then it's also really awful when uh he's shooting Ava yeah but you know but it's like like you said it's it doesn't it's not so over the top, but it's it's just handled so well, and they show you the right level of detail to make it feel very visceral. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, really good practical effects, and the way it's shot also, I just fucking loved it. I was like, yes, 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 give yeah. me more of this, even though it's awful and makes me feel slightly sick. I still want more, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, I will admit I did not watch the whole scene. I uh, <laughs> averted my eyes somewhere around the teeth time, you know. It's like, mm, I'm okay. But like I what I was looking at there was like, oh, he's destroying this person's like personhood. You know, he's destroying his ability to give this smarmy asshole speech and to mm-hmm. like say all these shitty things to me. And like his eyes, like it just is is such a a targeted piece of violence, you know. And and I mean for him to still be alive and to have to like live the rest of his life knowing that like this is how he makes other people feel. It's a really interesting point when you said that like he's making him feel how he made him feel Mm -hmm. like the punishment fitting the crime kind of thing because early in the movie and I forgot about this until just now they're asking Tasia when she comes out of the Holly experience like why didn't you shoot him like why did you stab him and she's like I thought it was more in character. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is like, what? You know, but then yeah. maybe it is. Maybe mm-hmm. she really is doing what she thinks these, what, you know, what she emotionally feels because she's just emotionally calibrated as this person. Mm-hmm. She is trying, you know, like, I we don't really know much about Holly's backstory, but she's a like a waitress or waitstaff in this like club for rich assholes. Mm-hmm. She probably feels like these people just like shit on her all the time. Mm-hmm. And this and you could just tell from an objectifier. So like this, the, the visceralness of like, slitting this guy's throat and just stabbing 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 there's such anger to that into this mm-hmm. and intimacy to it that's like i want you to know how you've made me feel yeah mm-hmm. and that's more important to her in that moment than effectively doing the assassination because obviously the the way to do the assassination would just be boom shoot him in the head you know mm-hmm. yeah no must no fuss Right. Well, that's the same. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's like the Sean Bean thing. Like he doesn't die, you know, because Mm -hmm. she was more concerned with like wrecking him, you know, Mm -hmm. than actually killing him. And if I were to get really symbolic, this might be a little bit of a stretch. But when we look at how she kills Michael, not Michael. Yes, it is Michael, her husband. Her husband. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's a whole argument about who it is that is actually killing him. I kind of read that. Colin starts it and she finishes it, you know, and she kind of just gets caught up. But she's taking like a tool of domesticity, which is Mm. something from the kitchen. And she's like cutting at his heart, you know, in his chest. And that might be a little on the nose, but it just feels like this very intimate like and she's killing him in the kitchen like they were Mm -hmm. at the table, like in her home. So it's it's really just kind of striking right at the heart of this. And I get the sense that the son is collateral damage there, you know, because he wasn't even around that shocked me when he when the sun came up and then I was like what the fuck this kid is a killer too and I know really- I was like damn yeah like oh god he just uh, apple doesn't fall far from the tree exactly <laughs> yeah but then to realize that it was actually girder in his body yeah. and that she had taken and like what kind of a person does it take to take a child and do that kind of surgery knowing that this is gonna lead to their death and they're gonna yeah. have to watch this play out you know um, stone cold like mm-hmm. completely inhuman yeah yeah it's capitalism it's ca- yeah. i mean truly like it's like any anyone and anything is collateral damage and service to this ultimate goal and i think we've seen that proven by how society has played out in the last few years like yep. you will kill everyone for the sake of the economy yeah um, well and i want to talk about 
like what what we what the person inside is feeling or the person outside I guess because we see scenes where Colin kind of comes back and he sees what's going on and he realizes like what is happening and I think that's when she says she's losing control of the host and there's a big part of me that wants to kind of see this as him being in the sunken place you know and kind of oh yeah I had that same thought that's I had that exact same thought yeah but then I on the other hand I'm like it would be easier for him if he just was completely unaware and like his consciousness stays in the back of this van where they're doing surgery especially when you think about her son being a victim of this possession you know but um so maybe we can kind of talk about the possession sequences and when it kind of merges together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that's really interesting. And the movie doesn't necessarily tell you one way or the other, but I did write in my notes, like, where do they go when they're gone? Mm-hmm. I love those possession sequences, like everything going dark and the bodies like melting into goo and then reforming. It's mm-hmm. uh it's such an original visualization. That's a great, again, like a thing that I, you know, a nerd about great blend of what I assume are practical effects with, I assume some digital compositing elements, Um, but it Mm -hmm. looked really real. It looked really like gooey and visceral. Mm -hmm. And I loved when Colin was kind of fighting back against Taz or God, I keep saying it because I put it in the notes. (laughs) When Colin is fighting back against Tasia and you see her face hanging off his face. And then later he picks it up and like is, putting it on Mm -hmm. you know and then so you know that the roles have been kind of reversed you know Mm -hmm. like just what a cool it's the cover of the film it's such a cool visualization like I'm getting chills just thinking about it I Mm -hmm. love when you can get like such original imagery in a movie like this because you think everything's been done in horror and then you see something like this and you're like yes Um, but yeah 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 so sorry oh no (laughs) no it's well worthy I think because it's such like it it totally shows like the pulling away pieces of yourself and like Mm -hmm. melting and merging and like there's a reason I think I I described it as like melting my brain when I was Mm -hmm. watching this because it's like you can feel pieces of yourself kind of becoming something else as you're watching it and and is it that the facade you have like that who I always was is hiding what this thing was always lurking inside me or is it changing and transforming into something else and I don't think there's really any way to know you know where is it the worm or the brain and where does the worm start you know yeah exact snake eating its own tail kind of a thing like exactly yeah and and because there's so much about our brain that we don't have access to really you know we have a layer of ourselves and our ego and the top of our brain and then all this primordial stuff beneath that's almost like these things that are influencing our behavior that we are not consciously aware of. And Mm -hmm. I think that that really, and that's not to keep bringing up my ketamine therapy experiences, but it was, it had a big impact on me. And those sequences really reminded me of the feeling of, of when like the ketamine first kicks in because it is a dissociative drug. That's exactly what it's doing. It's turning off the oxygen to your default mode network and parts of your brain that have to do with your sense of identity and ego. Mm -hmm. So like, how it felt was I found myself kind of sinking like, you know, and I remember the very first time I had the ga- kind of corner of the eye mask off of my eye because I wanted to be able to see something to ground myself in reality, which sort of tells you the mindset with which I approach things is mm-hmm. very controlling and anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I remember seeing about that. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't know. We, <laughs> yeah. we definitely are very similar in a lot of right. ways, <laughs> yeah. but like the, I remember looking at like the corner of my hand and seeing it get further and further away from me and thinking, oh no, the sunken place. Like, and then I was like, don't think about that. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't have a negative thought like that (laughs) enter your head at this moment, but Mm -hmm. it really would feel like 
I could feel my ego and identity struggling to to hang on and remember itself. So it made me feel like I was drowning and like like dying, you know? And mm. like so it was really scary at first, but then once you let it go, the rest of this more pleasant and interesting otherworldly experience that's very like just felt emotion becoming pictures in your mind, very dreamlike mm-hmm. kicks in. And I sometimes even have that when I'm struggling to fall asleep my body will like wake itself up because Mm -hmm. it's trying to like hold on to reality Mm -hmm. whatever that means and that that, those sequences just made me think so much of that and um I think it's thematically appropriate for the rest of the film yeah totally yeah that sounds um I'm about to start doing EMDR Mm. um because I've been doing brain spotting for a while but EMDR is Kind of a lot more formal and it's yeah and I'm nervous about that I'm like what if I start like reliving things and then I can't get back out you know um and is it and that's what we I think we see Colin struggling with is like who am I and and you know who is I don't know I I think Colin is the person that should be controlling his body but I mean yeah, yeah. the concept of the film it's like who does deserve control here and and what is better because like you said and like I've had that experience with intrusive thoughts like once I just acknowledge them and I stop fighting against it it makes my head a lot more clear you know and mm-hmm. I'm able to kind of see like it's like sitting with discomfort or sitting with pain it's like I know it's going to be there I know it's going to exist and there's part of me that wants to say well I'm never going to be sad again like go to therapy to teach me how to never be sad you know but that's not reality it's like we have to learn how to to go back to the parts thing you know to integrate all of it into our experience and be able to accept like ourselves as fully realized human beings and if there are things in our lives that we don't like like if we don't want to be a wife or a mom anymore we have the ability to move you know we have the ability to leave that situation without killing everyone yeah you don't have to kill everyone you don't have to that's the real moral of this movie is there's something called divorce (laughs) exactly yeah yeah (laughs) yeah well is there anything else that we want to talk about that we haven't mentioned already I don't think so. I feel like I could talk about this movie for hours. I definitely want to revisit it like right now after talking about it, which I just I, I think uh, uh, speaks to its quality. So I agree. I think it's great. It's and you know you guys have told me that I should check out more Cronenberg, and I think I'm actually going to do it. And I think I'll probably well, this is baby Cronenberg too. This is his son. Yeah, right, so. right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I you know anybody out there screaming at me. I do know the difference between them. And uh, I'm know. just saying. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> and I imagine from what I have seen because I've seen some stuff like Videodrome I know with the sticking the tape and like <laughs> yeah. this seems a lot more visceral and like more um, like updated effects more blood but yeah it it just there's he has made a lot of movies um but i i really think you should watch the brood i think if if you could start with one because i it's been a long time so i hope that i don't rewatch it and go oh this is problematic because sometimes Mm -hmm. that happens but but i i I mean i i remember that being my favorite of his and it's got so much to do with motherhood and identity and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and like family unit and everything so i think you would i think that's the one for you to start with it's also not super gory it's Mm. just like there's some just fucked up weird body shit in it that's gross but it's not like I think you'd be able I think you would actually um get a lot out of the imagery yeah well you're the third person that's recommended it to me and I just read about it in my house of psychotic women book so I think that's Uh, I think I should check it out yeah yeah, Um, you need to yeah we might have to do an episode on it actually we might we well (laughs) might 
Um, all right, well, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. This is where we share any grounding or coping techniques and any self-care that's been particularly effective for us. Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the tough days and tough moments. And self-care is anything that makes us feel good or feel better. And I mentioned EMDR. I might be talking about that later down the road. I haven't actually done it yet. We're mm -hmm. just doing a lot of the pre-stuff. But I have been watching the rehearsal. Have you seen that show? Oh, I've just finished it. And uh, I feel like I've lost my mind watching that show. But yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. It's melted my brain in so many different ways. I haven't. I still have one more episode to watch. But the, la the last episode is rough. Just prepare yourself. It is. Oh, really? It gets so dark. It's like we were. I watched it with my friends. We watched it over Discord on Fridays. And we mm -hmm. were all just like silent after it ended. Just like, what the Fuck. like yeah you'll just watch it I mean you oh, have fuck. to watch it but it's <laughs> yeah it's he Nathan Fielder is a interesting person <laughs> yeah yeah well I was watching the first episode and and you know I think maybe this might be a longer conversation at Patreon on Patreon at some point yeah you know? we should do Patreon on this yeah because there's so many feels mental... like a horror movie too the it whole does. thing feels like a horror movie sorry I, oh I, totally yeah. no 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 yeah yeah and and also like there's a lot of like psychological things going on there but like that first episode and I was watching this pretty recently after my daughter had an autism diagnosis and so that's in my brain too and I'm like oh, wow uh, mm -hmm. like it's interesting seeing like just through the lens of somebody else's thought process you know like his social story that has like a billion different wings that it could go off of and just the level of stress that creates in me but I imagine it's probably very soothing and like calms a lot of stress and I also realize this is a character and that's not he is portraying a character on screen that's not who he actually is but anyways it's just been really interesting and it's kind of helped me like like giving me a little bit of a vocabulary and kind of understanding a lot of the things that I've been thinking about just with my yeah. own like life and daughter and how I relate to everything. So yeah, so it's interesting. So that's mine. Getting oh, my brain yeah. melted. <laughs> we gotta we gotta do a, a yeah. Patreon on it. There's so much, especially I want to talk to you mm. after you watch the last episode. <laughs> oh, okay, well I'm, I'm yeah. gonna watch it today. <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta text me. So I guess I'll just say like, yeah, I found an, I found a potential new therapist. We had basically like a 30 minute consultation and now I have our first appointment next week, but I was searching for a long time to do some form of somatic therapy or somatic mm -hmm. um, movement based therapy. And mm -hmm. so she's got kind of a hybrid of like parts therapy and somatic techniques that she uses. And I'm excited to try it because it's a, and again, I was rereading Body Keeps the Score, and I really do think there's something to this bottom-up approach to addressing where trauma is stored in the body and all this kind of stuff, because I feel like I've so plateaued with talk therapy, mm -hmm. which I've been going to since fucking 2007, and I'm like, and doing this podcast. You know, there's only so much talking you can do mm -hmm. and about, about your own issues, but if you're not emotionally processing them still, you can feel really, really stuck. Mm-hmm. And paralyzed. And a lot of those, like over the pandemic, a lot of those old issues of mine that I thought I had kind of processed and integrated into myself seem to not be integrated at all. And I mm -hmm. seem to feel really paralyzed and stuck and awful most of the time. And I, and I recently had a, you know, very minor negative experience that sent me really spiraling. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I really need more help than mm -hmm. I'm getting. Mm -hmm. And I wrote to like, I had to write, I was really scared because I reached out to like, 
10 or 12 people and everyone was not accepting new clients, da 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 da, like trying to find people that specialize in this. And um, finally, like three people got back to me on the same day, of course, you know, uh, and I got managed to get an appointment with this woman. And so I, I felt so relieved even just taking that step. I felt like a weight had been lifted off of me because I was I was getting like really dark in my own head for mm -hmm. a while there. Um, so I feel like there's something I can at least work toward now mm -hmm. rather than feeling completely, completely stuck. Mm -hmm. um, and I really thrive on structure. And so knowing that I'll have someone there like checking in and being like, you didn't do your fucking homework, asshole. Mm -hmm. Like, well, well, keep me from just not doing anything, which mm -hmm. is, I, you know, I tend toward entropy in that way. Yeah. Um, so I just feel really honestly like relieved that I, and, and proud of myself that I kept reaching out to people after getting rejected so many times, because it would have been very easy for me to just say, I give up, no one's yeah. available, mm -hmm. but I just like, there was something in me that I just knew I needed more help. And, um, just kept contacting people. I yeah. know that doesn't sound like such a huge victory, but for when you feel really depressed and paralyzed, it, takes a lot of work to do basic steps of self-care and um mm -hmm. so i was i guess ugh, it, it pains me to say this but proud of myself for <laughs> you know for, for doing the work yeah. even if it was a small amount of work so well, i think yeah. that's something to be proud of you know and i think it's also like recognizing that something is not working with the current situation you know like i Corey and i were seeing a therapist together and we just were plateauing and we stopped. We stopped because of tax season and then just didn't ever make another appointment. And I was feeling really guilty about that. Because I think when you have, when you're doing talk therapy, it's really easy to start looking at this person as a friend mm -hmm. and like as a, like a two-way relationship. And like I, when I started doing brain spotting, I started seeing a different therapist to do it. And I would still see my regular person once a month. And then I would see this other person every other week. And I was so nervous to do that. I was like, if I stop seeing you three three times a week, am I going to like ruin your practice? Like, are you right, going right. to, you know, and I felt so guilty. And she was really great with like telling me, you know, the purpose of therapy is to get better. And sometimes it, it's for me to get better. It's not, I'm not going to therapy to help my therapist, you know, like her yeah. job is to help me. And so it's what. I need in this relationship that is really the important thing. And that feels really selfish to me. And so I don't want to, uh, you know, it's just, it's this whole socialization thing that we're, you know, we're just conditioned with, but. No, I, I relate so much to that. I, mm. I felt like I still feel guilty. Like I need to like message my therapist and just be like, I'm going to be seeing this other therapist. I'm not cheating on you. <laughs> I right. love you. I just need a different, mo like something that's, yeah. you know, but I, I, I completely relate to that. And it's, because it yeah. just feels so selfish to just like sit with someone and dump all of your feelings and have no reciprocation but it's right. like that's what this is right this that's is the whole job. point yeah, yeah, yeah. well in my therapist because I was telling her I was like I feel guilty not making an appointment should I reach out she's like no therapists are used to people doing that all the time like that's that's fine like it's not mm -hmm. you're not hurting their feelings you know and I mean, they are still human, so it might hurt their feelings a little bit. But again, that's not the point. Like if as a teacher, if somebody changed to a different school because they moved, like that's not a personal attack on me, you know? Right. And yeah. you just know it's it's about compatibility. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that at, when you are training to be a therapist, you have to do a lot of work to <laughs> accept that as part of the whole deal. <laughs> right, right. Which is why I don't think I would ever be a good therapist. 
Like I go back and forth on it. I really want to be actually, I think I would love it, but also it would be very, very challenging, but that's why I'm going to do this work on myself and then see, Yeah, is it a possibility for me? That would be awesome. (laughs) Um, Well, we want to hear from you. Um, Have you... (laughs) Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Have you ever shown Google your vibrator? (laughs) Who are you really? What have you done to us? Or just what's on your mind? Um, You can answer all these questions and more. Sorry, I wrote these like a week ago and completely (laughs) forgot which ones I had written. I love when you surprise yourself that Uh, way. It's like, who are you? (laughs) I was in in a a mood when I wrote these after watching this movie. all right. Um, you can answer all of these questions and more by following us on socials at PsychoAPod. You can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. And if you have a spare moment, please leave a rate and review on Apple iTunes. It really helps us, other people find the pod and it makes us feel good. And our homework question for the week, if you could live another life, who would you be? And- I would be... A supermodel. A supermodel. No, actually, that would, I would not I want, want to do that at all. A supermodel. I'm picturing well, Kelly Bundy walking around with the books on her head like, I am a model. Yes. yes and I just yes. totally dated myself by that with that reference also. Oh, you know, right. I'm pretty sure that everyone listening to this podcast is within a certain age bracket. So I it's think okay. so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the kids are on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So next up for us, well, it is a new month and a new theme, and it's one I'm really excited about, but it's a big one. We are going to be talking about three movies with this one, too. So it's perhaps our biggest one yet. Still oh kicking around the actual title of what we're going to call this, but we're going to be talking about religious fanaticism and cults. And we are going to start off with The Wicker Man, the original Wicker Man, which I'm yes. very excited about. And I know that's one of your favorite movies also. Yes. So, love this movie. Yes. Not the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man. Not though. the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man. <laughs> Do not right. watch that unless uh, it's even as a bad, so bad it's good movie. It only has a few yeah. uh, redeeming moments. <laughs> right, right. One. Yeah. We're watching the original with the dreamy Christopher Lee. Oh, um, yeah. All right. And so, but now let's wrap up with some plugs. Zoe, where can we find you online? You mentioned extreme horror, and I know that you have another venture coming up. So I was wondering, can you tell us, one, where we can find you online? And um, what do you have coming up? You have so many projects. (laughs) Yes. uh, Yeah. Too many projects right now. Like, (laughs) I need to stop. I'm going on holiday soon. So, uh, I'm going to have a break from them. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the story of my life, though. It's like, I want to do all this stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, everything sounds so exciting. Um, Right, yeah. In terms of finding me on socials, I am Zobo with a shotgun on pretty much everything. Also, make sure to check out Ghouls Magazine, which, Jen, you are on as well. Um, And we have an amazing uh, bunch of writers who write amazing, amazing things. So do check out Ghouls Magazine. It's just Ghouls Mm -hmm. Magazine on social. Um, New podcast. Yes, our bloody obsession. Uh, So I was doing Sober with a Shotgun as a podcast, but I think doing a solo podcast is just pretty exhausting. Um, Uh And (laughs) yeah, you know, speaking for like an hour by yourself is Mm. is more difficult than you think. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I've decided to join forces with um, my friend Kelly, 
who is she runs um, the Spinsters of Horror alongside a co-host Jess. And what we're doing is just getting together and watching nasty, nasty, nasty movies and then talking about them. Um, Mm -hmm. We've done like a launch episode and we recorded the other day our first actual episode. And yeah, the movies we've watched so far are quite intense and extreme. (laughs) Can you give us a tease of at least one of the movies that you're going to be talking about? Yes. So the first episode is going to have a film called A Perfect Child of Satan by (laughs) Lucifer Valentine. And the other one is Megan is Missing. Which is a movie I am too scared to watch. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to hear y'all talk about it. I love listening to conversations about these movies because I want to know, but I don't know if I can watch yet. So I find oh a lot of people with extreme, and I guess you know why I found I really enjoyed doing this over with Shotgun Podcast because a lot of people do want to hear about these extreme, disturbing movies, but don't want to watch mm-hmm. them. And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, I'll watch it for you. I'm happy to do that. I will sit Mm -hmm. and watch it for you and then let you know, don't watch it because it is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Or like sometimes I think people want to figure out why they're drawn to this, you know? And I think that when you're kind of in this world to have – to hear someone say, no, it's okay to watch this movie that is really upsetting um, or that like Cannibal Holocaust, like – that's a movie that I think I was like really kind of averse to watching for a long time. But then to yeah. hear someone actually say, this is what I get out of this, you know, this is, or like yeah. the other one that comes to mind is the Poughkeepsie tapes. Like I, I don't yeah. think that's for everybody, but like I get a lot out of that movie and yeah. it really kind of changed a lot of the direction of my therapy, you know? And so to hear somebody say, this is the good part of this this film I think kind of opens the door for you to start to actually check it out yourself you know so yeah you're doing us all a service (laughs) (laughs) you're spreading the good word so I thank you for for watching all of those so that I can I can know what I can and cannot watch Um, I'm sorry I shouldn't say can and cannot what I may or may not be able to handle today maybe that's a better way of saying it but um, and I do also wanted to ask if um, we normally, I'm going to drop this into the uplifting moment, but um, did you have any grounding or coping techniques that you wanted to share? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, have to have techniques because I think, uh-huh. you know, therapists say find some form of technique. Um, mm-hmm. I, re- I usually really struggle with things like meditation and mindfulness because my brain just can't stop and function like that. I find, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm doing like mindfulness, I get distracted within 30 seconds of, of anything. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just not kind of working for me, though, those aspects. But what I personally love that I find kind of like really helps me with mental health in general and just keeps me like kind of tip top is I just love going to the gym lifting heavy weights and listening mm-hmm. to like screamo metal in my ears <laughs> and uh-huh. it's like the one time I put my phone on do not disturb I don't have anyone around you know I don't talk to mm-hmm. anyone pure bliss just brings me back oh. to myself that's awesome okay well so I want to ask because I that was what 
like exercise was a big coping mechanism for me for a long time. And then when I start, when I started taking this OCD medicine, that need to like work, 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 push myself went away. And I found myself really um, kind of getting out of shape and having a hard time Mm. keeping like pushing myself so what is it because you're you're talking about lifting heavy weights and I know you're a runner also Mm. like how do you is there like a certain kind of feeling do you channel it into your action as a way to kind of get it out in that way does that make sense yeah I I it does feel like I mean there's obviously a lot of research around the link between physical health and mental health and how it helps Mm -hmm. But for me, I kind of like, I started running when my mum died when I was like 18. That was when I first started Mm -hmm. running because I was kind of like, I want to feel like I'm running away from everything, but Mm -hmm. I'm coming back because, you know, and that's kind of why I started running because I honestly wanted some form of like physical way to like run away from what I was feeling. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't run away from your feelings, of course, but it was a Mm -hmm. way that at least made me get out of my head for you know a good 30 minutes and I find Mm -hmm. it's completely the same with like doing weights or running for me I get Mm -hmm. I don't think of anything I'm thinking of I'm counting you know Mm -hmm. I'm counting my my reps at the gym or I've got like my music when I'm running and I'm I'm just listening to the music nothing Mm -hmm. else or looking at like the scenery around Mm -hmm. And I think being able to get out of your head and away from intrusive thoughts and impulsive thoughts and what ifs and all of those, I know how good it makes me feel. So I'm like, I carve out time for physical exercise every day because I know if I don't, I feel like shit. And I've got the little (laughs) worm, the worm comes Mm -hmm. back going, nagging me, doing whatever he's doing. But the worm Mm -hmm. is not there when I'm out running or lifting weights. So nice have you seen the movie the novice this is my new favorite movie that i'm recommending to everyone it's not hard i think it's no yeah it's it's got isabel Furman in it Mm. and it's about um she becomes obsessed with rowing and she wants to make the varsity team but there's so much of this like this physical repetitive motion because you know rowing is just kind of back and forth but it's very much like once she is doing that like the music takes over and she's kind of in this state of calm because of the like repetitive motion in your mind can kind of go away so I think you would like it it's not again it's Mm. not horror but it's really really good (laughs) I would check it out adding it to my I've just added it to my list yay awesome you'll have to let me know what what you think because it's like my my new favorite thing to recommend to people although it's not horror (laughs) although I don't know I could make an argument so you'll have to let me know if you think it could count as horror I I think um, everything's horror nowadays I I watch I watch kids movies I'm like that that's horror that's horror totally (laughs) the the house of horror has many rooms is what I always say Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. This was just so it was I feel like it was not the easiest conversation because we went to places that are dark. But I think it just felt so good to talk about some of this stuff, you know, so I really appreciate you sharing and for joining us and and for choosing this movie. Well, I mean, I love going to dark places, so, (laughs) and uh, no, yeah, thank you for letting me come in and talk about Possessor, because I always want to talk about more, so, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, I loved it. And Laura, what about you?
Oh boy. I don't know. I honestly don't know what to say at this point because I, uh-huh. I, I locked my Twitter because mm-hmm. when you Google my actual name, it comes up, even though I don't have my actual name on there and being a more hmm. public facing role in my job, I was like, I don't want randos. And I got a lot of like weird comments one day and I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to lock my Twitter mm-hmm. for a while. Um, so I have that locked and I, I don't know, you don't have to follow me on anything. And, um, <laughs> I'm not, I, I, sometimes I'm on, uh, the Losers Club. I don't have any upcoming appearances scheduled on there. Um, I'm just working on a, a lot of different things, so I don't really have anything publicly to plug today. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and that's completely fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, we because you can follow us here. Yeah, at this podcast, if you want to find me, <laughs> play the next episode or the previous exactly. episode. Yeah, I'm just. Hey, we've got over a hundred now. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> there's lots of places we are, um, and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram, also co-hosting the Losers Club podcast. And I'm going to be in Chicago. Yay, we can actually meet. (laughs) I know. I'm so excited. Yeah, we've got a Stephen King film festival coming up, so that's going to be really exciting. Um, And then uh, you can also find me co-hosting the White Ladies in Crisis podcast. We're wrapping up Candy, and uh, we haven't actually decided what we're doing next, but it's going to be fun. (laughs) Um, and I am going to pull both of them into a good for her episode nice. <laughs> um, where I talk about Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's game. So I'm super excited oh, awesome. about that also. Um, so that's me. And that is our episode on Possessor. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for absolutely blowing my mind with this movie. Yes. So glad and, I watched it. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Love it. New new favorite for me. Um, listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're all out of bubblegum. Bubble <laughs> we're all out of bubblegum. Maybe I'll just merge them all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bubblegum. Maybe the bubblegum is the worm. Oh, yeah. It's that bubblegum you swallowed in childhood was actually a government. Never mind. Oh, fuck. That's what happened. <laughs> no, I just wanted to immediately just, like parachute out of that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, too real, too real. <laughs>